All right, cool. So hopefully this doesn't sound weird because uh, I'm getting a lot more echo on my end, but I'm not sure if that's like a, a thing or uh, what's going on because I was fiddling around with my settings, so hopefully it doesn't sound like a tin can. Like it Yeah, hopefully you didn't fucking ruin it. Yeah. Granted, I'm not having myself come through on my end, but I'm getting the echo of me through you, I think. Cool. But apparently it's coming through just fine, which I guess I'll find out once I insert the intro. Yeah, I guess we'll find that out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Got a, we got a, an agenda today. We do. Not, not, the, not the craziest agenda of all time, but definitely agenda of sorts. Um, shit. I just want to make sure I get everything closed down here because it's a madhouse in my tabs right now. It's a madhouse. Plus the Sox are playing. Oh, yeah. What's the score? Right now they are, excuse me. Uh, let me get that pulled up. Right now we are winning 6-0, so cool. Keep that going hopefully. Hopefully pick up the first win of the season. That's the plan. That's the play. But um that's what we got going on. Shit, man. So I was uh, talking to my uh my counterpart and work? Uh, yeah, so I was telling her on uh, Monday cuz I was I don't want to say over hours, but I was like I was going to hit my 40 before I hit my eight hour, eighth hour that day. Mm-hmm. So I told her, I'm like, you know what? I'm like, after my six and a half, I'm going to go home. Right. And she's like, well, why? And I'm like, I don't know. Felt like it. And then I'm like, plus my wife is off. She's like, see, you have an agenda. I told her this. And I don't know how philosophical it is, but I'm like, everybody has an agenda. I'm like, but if somebody just doesn't want to tell you what theirs is, it involves fucking you over. And I thought that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's there's a bit of truth to that, but... Maybe you just don't want the other guy to know what you're doing, you know? There's that, definitely. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I think that was a, that was a, a good foul ball swing, you know? <laughs> like, there was some force to that and maybe yeah. some truth, but, yeah, yeah the follow-up was kind of rough. Yeah, I guess it takes a little bit more thought. But, uh, I mean, it's not going to be as classic as my just because you're born here doesn't mean you have to die here kind of statement. I know that one had an impact on you. I know you like that one. But, uh yeah, man. Are you ready to commence? Oh, yeah. Let's go. All right. Let me see how this intro bleeds into that. Oh, shit. <laughs> I thought I, I thought I paused it. <laughs> Sorry. No, for sure I'm pausing this time. Just so you know, Gabe, I uh, I have us recording during the intro so I can ah. naturally lead into the... I got you. All right. I see how that works now. What is going on, guys? Welcome to the Second City Kids Podcast, episode number 112. One, one, two. Yeah. Uh, so that's how I do that. Plus, it helps me <laughs> it's like... It's hilarious. Yeah. You like pulled off shoot your, your fucking headphones and it's like blaring. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ, man. You okay over there? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I just realized maybe that's why I'm getting the echo um, because I don't have the echo anymore because my speakers were or my headphones were blaring. But um, yeah, man, you you trying to shake up that earwax? You trying to? <laughs> I guess so. But um, yeah, I don't have the echo anymore, so that's good. But um, so yeah, don't talk during the intro. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, because uh, like now I said, you guys know our half-assed measures. 
Hey, man, uh, it's better than trying to line it up after the fact because I'm supposed to, you know. Yeah. Because I was doing it before. I tried to. I'm like, well, I couldn't do it because I would talk over the track. But if you have it on a separate track, it's going to go. So I learned that. Isn't that rock and roll. Very cool. Very yeah. Cool. So, uh, but yeah, we are back for another episode of the Second City Kids podcast on a relatively nice day. Sunny. Uh, a little windy. A little chilly, uh, but not too bad on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. I'm your host, Jacob. And with me today, I have my buddy, Gabe. Um, we are back for another episode. Uh, but first thing, we're going to get how, how we normally get cracker lacking on the week. How was your week, buddy? Good, man. I started uh, conditioning for boxing this week, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's been something I've been wanting to do. And I'm, I've kind of... Well, you used to work out, right? You know yeah. how it is sometimes. Yeah. It, it's a very different thing when you go in with like either yourself or a buddy to the gym. Yeah. And you work out. And mm-hmm. it's a completely different experience when you have a trainer. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I signed up for, for that. And you know, first day I, I go in the morning, I go at the butt crack of dawn. It's like six thirty on weekdays, but I like, I put my wraps on and like, it hit me, you know, just like a truck full of dildos. And I was like, I was like, God damn it. Only I would have the sudden urge to shit the moment I put my wraps on. Just leave them on. <laughs> just, yeah. And they'll wipe my ass with the wraps. Yeah. But yeah, man, I just thought it was hilarious. I was like, it's my first day. And of course. Yeah, that makes sense. It sounds like uh, par from the course for you. Uh, but where are you going? Uh, I'm going to the UFC gym. So that's fun. Uh, they got all sorts of good stuff going. Uh, we, we went yesterday, me and a couple buddies. And, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, this is going to be fun, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, you're not going to be saying that while you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, like, you know, like a, halfway through the workout, we all, like, look at each other, like, soaked in sweat. And they're like, oh, my God. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. So they have like their uh, like classes for boxing in the UFC. Yeah, they have a whole bunch of stuff. They have boxing, kickboxing. You get all your Muay Thai belts there. Hmm. It, it's like a full day's worth of classes, and you know, it's a gym, obviously, too. So how long? How many? How many hours do you spend there? Uh, I spend an hour in the mornings there. So it's not you know the the heaviest of commitments because I know some guys are in there for like three or four hours a day. Yeah. But I get my shit in. I you know I focus. I go hard and then go home sharp. Go to work. Excellent. Cool. Very cool. All right. Uh, as far as my week, it was all right. Yeah. Nice and quiet. Yeah. Not some, too bad. Some weeks are just, uh, you know, there's nothing too much going on. That's nice. Yeah. 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 So that's what we have going on. But um, so let's go ahead and I guess uh, get crack lacking into this. So I actually have two, two of these kind of stories. Uh, so the first one, they're both by the same YouTuber. He's like this. Uh, he's heavily into, you know, Magic the Gathering, the card game. Right. Yep. And uh you probably played way more magic than I have. I just I was kind of always around it. I you mm-hmm. know I played it for a little bit, never did a deep dive. But so this guy is like an appraiser, a collector, pretty much the whole shebang. And so on one of his videos, some kid was like, "Hey, I bought the magic, the MTG 2019 course stuff. I bought, I think he said like 14 of the starter things, right? The course starter packs, which is a oh, shitload of money. That's really. good, yeah. Like 20 bucks a piece, right? And he's like, and I got no mythics. Oh my so, god! So he thinks. That these things were resealed, like they were, like the shop like went through them, scavenged and resealed them, right? So he sent them in to this guy, this Randy guy, and so he's like, okay, yeah, blah blah blah, like you know, like those are absolutely garbage odds, you know, like 20, 20 core starters and not one mythic, like that that's pretty close to impossible, right? But it's totally possible. Yeah, maybe sometimes you get shit draws. So he's going through these core sets and um, he's like examining them, and so card packs have a certain way of like feeling you know like a nice crispness to how they open Mm -hmm. and so what this card shop was doing was that they would open the packs from the bottom right but they would open it very carefully and stuff and they'd open it um along the 
horizontal edge and not the not the vertical one you know mm -hmm. and um say so peel it out take up take out any rears put a garbage rear back in there because you're guaranteed one per pack yeah toss it back in and, and re-glue it and put it in the the whole starter pack and that's that's just fucking wild right yeah and and so i don't mean to bash on the magic community because you know i was a part of it at one point but like even here when you know you go to like top cut or whatever like some of these local card shops like i know a couple of like these guys that have been working there for like 15 years and have been playing magic since it came out and i feel like there's always beef and drama and just like fucking like not the good kind of debauchery like the bad kind of debauchery always going around magic the gathering like one of the one of the guys told me that he he enjoys magic on a casual level and he stopped playing professionally because he was at a tournament once and you know you give your deck to your opponent to shuffle right the dude bent the corner of one of his cards called the judge over told me he had a mark card and he got disqualified what that's garbage isn't it the and, fuck? and so like you know obviously you're gonna get toxic people around any anything that you do really nowadays right yeah but i just feel like there's just so much of this in the magic community man that's crazy what's kind of your experience with this well i mean i've always been like um the magic player amongst my friends mm -hmm. so like everybody i would ever play with would have passing interest but i always felt like i was always the you most, were devoted yeah the most invested so as far as like playing when I was like younger, like it was like not even close, but I've never like a uh, full bore went into like a shop to play against some random nerd. Like I've never done that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the reason why I'm sure, you know, Pokemon and um, Yu-Gi-Oh was probably gotten there too, but um, just because the community is so old that there's been time for this level of scumbaggery to kind of fester up to the top. Well, all right. Cause here's the thing I've, I've been in, like Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments, I've had my fair share. I've had uh, Hero Clicks tournaments. I've had Vanguard tournaments. I, you know, I used to live at a card shop in my high school days, and like, here was my big thing: the Magic community. There was always Magic players there, regardless if there was a Magic tournament, if there was a draft or anything. There was always Magic players there, and that's just the that's the community behind a card shop. Okay, the Magic: The Gathering is the most popular yeah. trading card game. At the moment, and arguably, I think it's the oldest too, right? It was like 89? Yeah, a lot of these uh, card games that have come out since have been kind of an offshoot or a, uh, basically, I don't want to say offshoot, but um, kind of trying to replicate the the success that Magic had because I think Magic, what, started in 92, 93? It was pretty early, man, and Yu-Gi-Oh! wasn't too far after that. I think it was in the States in like 97, 98, but it didn't blow up into the cartoon. That, I, I'm saying it didn't have the same steam train that magic did yeah it was only until like a couple of years after it debuted that people were on the boat and whipping out you know some spicy combos because in the early days it was just a real simple thing yeah you know get your strongest monster out but um man where was i going with this oh so there's always magic people at the shop right and the the joke here was um that whenever there was a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament going on which is like saturdays at noon right the, the joke between the magic community was like oh yeah like, they play Yu-Gi-Oh! because they can't play a real man's card game, you know? And, like, I get it. Maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe maybe not, right? But no, it's like, what, what should it fucking matter, you know? And I feel like there's, a, like, the magic people, at least here in this area, are always, like, ripping on each other and, and just, you know? Well, I, I find it funny that people think that, you know, you have to play a real man's card game. The only real man card game is poker, <laughs> you know? Like, I get it. I mean, because you've been playing it since you were 12 and now you're 30, cool but um at the end of the day these things are marketed towards children one way or another well i would say that 
the Pokemon card game is. I would say the Yu-Gi-Oh card game still is. I, I don't know how much magic is marketed towards kids. I'm sure there's an interest amongst the younger community, but for the most part, I'd say it comes off as a pretty serious card game, and at least the way Wizards of the Coast tries to present it and the way uh, maybe the, the strategy of the whole marketing team goes for you know because like you can only spend a, a certain amount of money when you're you know under 18 years old right like when i was working part-time and i had just enough cash to get me by you know i would buy a pack or two here a week and then i you know and then you get promoted at ups and you're like oh should i have real money let's buy a box yeah and that was like the like me and nick would go to card shops all the time i'd be like hey you want to split a box and on more than a dozen occasions he said yeah let's split a box or something yeah i got you, you know and that's a very kind of rabbity whole thing I mean, I don't know, man, because I, th- I think I said that there's a certain level of like elitism that comes along with it because they're the first or the biggest or whatever. But um, I don't know, man. I mean, uh, as far as other card games, I feel like, you know, I, I was a Yu-Gi-Oh player when it was popular, but after it kind of fell off, I kind of fell off with it. Pokemon, I was never really into the cards. There was There's very few players I know. I, I feel like it's more like a collecting game, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's more about what you got and less about playing the actual well, game. Well, the the owner of Top Cut, he's like a world-ranked Pokemon player, fun fact. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool, but it's like all the employees joke like, yeah, we don't know how to play, and he's like world-ranked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's fair. I think, uh, I mean, honestly, like I said, I probably maybe played one real Pokemon card game in my whole entire life. Uh, I think it was more of the, a video game TV show kind of a vibe. Yeah, I got you. Um, that I always enjoyed more of it. But like as far as Yu-Gi-Oh, it was a little bit of both. I, I played a, a, d- a fair share of Yu-Gi-Oh, but I also like collecting. Part of the fun of it is collecting the shit. You know Absolutely, what I mean? Absolutely, man. Looking at the cards, hoping you get something good. Uh, Magic, as far as playing, is probably the one I have the biggest background on as far as actually physically playing. Strategies and all that yeah. good stuff. I played compositions. I played a shit ton of the the video game, the mm-hmm. Magic the Gathering games. Those That was a, sh- a, a fucking hoot. I had so much fun with it. Um, but I don't really have time to... to, to you know, invest into that type of stuff anymore. Uh, I do enjoy it. There was a resurgence in my life a couple of years ago where I was like really back, back into it. But, um, it's, it's nice, man. But like, here was my thing. And, and there's some truth to this in a lot of card games, but, um, in Yu-Gi-Oh, the big thing was like, you'd pull something rare out of a pack. Right. And when a card just first drops, it's going to be stupid inflated. It's going to be stupid pricey. Right. And, um, you know, Nick always joked that I have the luck of the devil because mm-hmm. he would open like, six packs in a row and get garbage and then i'd open one pack and i get the money card for the whole box and this would happen like consistently (laughs) and it was like really weird he's like yeah gabe you have the luck of the devil blah blah blah. and so i kind of became like hooked on this like mentality and i knew how many of x cards should be in this box like i had the statistics down and like all the probabilities i was like well if i buy nine packs right now it might be a little bit more expensive but i have a better odds of pulling this because three packs already sold and the guy told me nobody pulled the money card you know like that was like my mentality i got so addicted to that but the problem with it was you pull it and then you're like oh man maybe i should build a deck around this you know because like any like stupid op card you're like man i mean this would be a cool addition you know maybe i should run this thing but then in what happens in Yu-Gi-Oh is that a couple months down the line the card either gets uh Semi-limited, which is, you know, down to two copies in a deck. Limited, which is down to one copy in a deck. Or banned, self-explanatory. Or even worse, it gets a reprint in something that's guaranteed. So I pulled a really nice rare card once, and then they reprinted it in a tin. So you buy the tin, you get that card right off the bat, along with like six packs. And so that card went from $80 to $4. I mean, the upside of that is that you always have the original print, though. Yeah, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? No, I get It like devalues it so much. And then the thing in Magic is that, you know, granted, there's like 101 different formats that you can play Magic in, but if you're playing Modern, 
and you wait too long to fuck around with that card, it's not only going to drop in value, but now you can't use it in a modern game. Yeah. You're going to have to use it in... Legacy or whatever it's called. Legacy, Commander, whatever whatever you're playing that's not modern. Yeah. And that's kind of my gripe with it. It's like, I, I like it. I like playing card games, and I like the whole strategy thing. You know, we have the same mentality on this stuff. And part of the fun is opening those packs and feeling like a kid again, right? But there's just so much drama, toxicity, garbage, and then, like, unless you're doing this as a full-time job, like, flipping cards left and right... You're really just gonna lose money, man. Yeah, it's absolutely. ridiculous. Absolutely, because we would, man. We when we were like seventeen, we would buy packs and then we would sell cards for pizza money and we'd go next door and get pizza and yeah. we felt like fucking kings. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but now it's like, dude. No, I, I feel you. Speaking of a card game and bringing it back, I don't mean to derail the conversation. I'm not sure if Phil's coming to an end or not. But me, Adriana purchased Sushi Go. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah, we should fuck around with that. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll uh, give it a roar before you guys take off because I know it plays pretty fast. Very cool. And we very cool. Like, yeah, yeah, we'll fuck around with that. I got one more Magic the Gathering story. I'll keep Absolutely. It short, I promise. Yep. No, keep going. Same guy, the same Randy YouTuber guy. Um, somebody sent him a letter. They're like, hey, I bought a Black Lotus from a buddy of mine a couple years down. He was in a rough patch. He wanted eight grand for it, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm trying to sell it, right? And so what he's noticed is that people display a high level of interest, right? And they come and they check it out. They're like, yeah, you know, all on board. And then they'll get like a third party to take a look at it. And then suddenly like everybody pulls out. So he's like, I'm worried that it's a fake. Do you think you could take a look at it for me? Right? So you sent it to this Randy guy, the YouTuber that, you know, I was watching and the dude pulls it out of the box. He does this on camera. He's like, yeah, I don't want there to be any discrepancies that I sent you back a fake card or anything. So we're going to do this all right now. One take, right? And so he, he pulls the card out of the very carefully packaged, you know, box and everything. And he's like, yeah, I already have a, uh, I already have a, a, a inkling. No, he, he, he knew what it was at the moment he saw it, right? But he's like, well, you know, just for the sake of this video, I'm going to pull out my control variables. And he pulls out every printed version of a Black Lotus. He has an alpha, a beta, and every other, like, version that came printed out in it. And, and you know, when you see, when he said control, I thought he was going to have a list of things, what to look for, and maybe a copy or two of Black Lotus, right? No, this dude had every version out there. And I took it. I sent you the screenshot. I mean, there's like eight of them on the screen. And an alpha black lotus goes between 200 and 250 grand. Think about that. A quarter of a million dollars. That could pay off your house, your car, any other debt you have. And then you still have some money to fuck around with. Mm -hmm. And I, I showed Maddie. I was like, look at this. This, this screenshot right here, if we had this, <laughs> yeah. we'd be off on an island somewhere. Bullshit. Abs absolutely. Yeah. And I was like, that is insane. Yeah. And I think part of the problem is that I think Yu-Gi-Oh! has a hard cap. I think they understand what how much they should pay for a piece of cardboard, right? Mm -hmm. I think Magic players don't have... Well, granted, some of these extremists don't. You feel me? Because mm -hmm. if you want to pay a half a million dollars worth for an Alpha Black Lotus, you either have a lot of fuck you money or you're putting Magic on top of other priorities. Well, there's that and... Um, I don't know how to explain it. Well, because I, well, as far as the Black Lotus goes, I mean... It's stupid broken, first and foremost. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I told Gabe, I'm like, yep, breaking the cardinal rule of magic, whereas that you can only play one mana per per, per, per round. And, and even then, man, it's a plus two at the end of the day. Yeah. On your side. You know, that's still ridiculously good. Yeah, because normally when it, if, it, if something allows you to bring in another land, it has to come in tapped. You're not allowed to use those resources automatically. Where This, so this is, is a like, free. Yeah. You know. It's ridiculous. Um, But there's that. Um, But I don't know, man. I think... It's because I, I saw a doc, I don't want to say documentary, but like a quick 15 minute video about the Black Lotus one time and just everybody explaining like what happened and uh, how it got so big and why it changed. And 
all these things that maybe added value to it along the way because certain people wrote, wrote certain write-ups about it on, on magazines and kind of increased the value of it. Um, I find it interesting. Is there uh, like, is there an equivalent to that in like Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon where it's just like an I win card? Uh, in Pokemon, it's the, there's a version of a Charizard card that has a shadow on it and it's like a foil card. And that one's really rare too. I don't, I don't, I don't know how much that one's worth, but it's definitely not a quarter of a million dollars. But, but I'm, it's not because obviously outside of the fact that it looks cool and it, it, cause those are based on like cosmetics and like generation and stuff. But I'm sorry. I'm talking about t- fucking around with the actual mechanics of the game. Um, well, see the thing in Yu-Gi-Oh is that if there was, I can think of one card that really fucked up the game 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but it, it fucked it up so much that everybody was running that deck in the regional tournaments that year. And I think a week after that tournament, they banned the card. It was the first, it was the first ever ban list. They had to whip out because of that card. We have a ban list because of that card, mm. but that card isn't worth more than 20 bucks now. Cause you get it, you know, and you play with your friends cause you can't use it in tournaments. Hmm. I don't know. I wonder how that, like I said, the, there was like an explanation on it. I think it's very kind of an interesting thing as far as evaluating the, evaluating the market on these type of cards and why magic above all else stands head over shoulders over everybody else. It's interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, man, I think it's, I think it's something maybe worth looking into, but I just kind of threw it out there cause I thought it was really interesting. Like I said, we both, you have more of an interest in magic and I was always kind of, you know, yeah. around it, but yeah, man, it's just crazy. I want to get Keyforge. That's next for me. I let Adriana do Sushi Go because it was more of her thing. Oh, uh, fuck. Uh, but, um, Are you losing? No, 6-3. Uh, but gotcha. um, it's going to be a long baseball season. Um, but, um, yeah, so Keyforge is my next thing. I want to get it because uh, we have Star Realms here. Maybe Ascension. They get into that a little bit. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, all that type of stuff. I enjoy the card game. I enjoy the card collecting. Right, but there's a difference between a card game board game and a card game trading card game. Yeah, absolutely. There's a massive Yeah like thousands of dollars difference here and, and everything in a in like the the board the the deck building game is like a all self-inclusive like everything you need is in the in the box you know yeah. um but there are like the crazy cards but you know everybody has access to those you know all right yeah man so th- that was my little magic chat let's get into these actual topics this week uh let's start off with uh movies and tv man so <laughs> talk to me about the meg so i i sat down and watched it last weekend after the podcast okay. roll all right um I watched it. My wife insisted that first off, I want to talk about a phobia or a fear that I have a legitimate issue that I have. I don't like things or I don't like being around things that are bigger than they're supposed to be. So for instance, uh, we went to the science and industry museum one time and they have an exhibit where they sh- supposedly shrink you down to a smaller level, right? Oh uh, yeah. I know that one. Yeah. Um, what, you know what? The weirdest thing freaked the me ant? out. Not the ant. The oversized penny freaked me out. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah, I don't like being around things that are bigger than they're supposed to be. The spider stuff that they had in there, and like you said, the ants and stuff, freaks me the fuck out, and I don't like it. So, Adriana, naturally, fucking around with my phobia, she's like, well, let's watch this movie about this oversized fucking ridiculous shark, right? Um, it was <laughs> Jason Statham doing his, phoning it in the best he possibly could. Um, so I watched it. Uh, it's a stupid fucking movie. It doesn't make any fucking sense at all. I mean, I think if you walk into it, think you're going to get jaws, you're out of your fucking mind. But as far as like a dumb B movie, it was fun. Um, and there's always, uh, they follow, follow the, one of the most important things that Qui-Gon Jinn ever said. And they said that there's always a bigger fish. Um, they are like fucking around for like maybe 75% of the movie with this one Megalodon that comes up and la 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 blah, blah, blah. And then maybe they finally kill it. Oh, sweet. We made it. Look, we're going to make so much money because we discovered the, an ancient creature that has been sitting at the bottom of the ocean for a millennia. Uh, next thing you know, the fucking next big, big mamma jamma comes up and eats that one. 
and everybody's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? How cliche. Yeah. I think it's hilarious to see that a once feared creature, like a real creature that was once so fucking terrifying has been reduced to, yeah, there's like one or two good shark movies. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think it's a very interesting thing to look at because Jaws is obviously up there, right? That's like the king. The hallmark, yep. Yeah, the hallmark, right? But then there's this like... Like, look at Sharknado. It is intended to be a B movie. And Absolutely. There's f- what, four, five of them now? Something like that, yeah. There's five of them, and they realize what they're doing, which is a whole another subject of its own. And you got shit like, you remember the Piranha movie? Mm-hmm. That was whack. Anaconda? Yeah. I, I have some kind of sentimental feelings towards Anaconda, just because of how ridiculous it was. And just kind of seeing it as a kid was fucking great. Yeah. But like, absolutely. looking back at it now, it's completely different. But then, do you remember a movie called Deep Blue Sea? I do. With, with Samuel, Samuel Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. I kind of, so I, I like the approach that movie took because, you know, it's still a horrible fucking movie. But I like that the shark would learn. Yeah. You know, and I thought that was a nifty little thing. Like, uh, what was that George Romero movie? Uh, it was like 20, 2010 maybe. But it was like zombies, but they like learn and they adapt and stuff. And they like learn to speak by the end of the movie. And yeah, then yeah, people yeah. Are like, oh my God. And it was totally ridiculous. It was totally like off the wall, but it was like a neat little interesting concept. I just think it's kind of sad that in the 50s that there's this crazy ass, like you, if you go to the beach, you're going to get bitten by a shark craze. Like everybody was fucking terrified of sharks, right? Yeah. And they'd be in like North Michigan. Like, oh my God, we're going to get bitten by a shark. Like, no motherfucker. That's not how Saltwater. it works. Saltwater motherfucker. Yeah. But, but now it's like, I feel like everybody could. I feel everybody has that mentality in their head that's like, yeah, dude, I'd fuck that shark up. Or like, I'm not worried about sharks. It's not a real threat, you know? Yeah. When it still kind of should be. If Absolutely. you're, you yeah. know, like you don't fuck with anything that's bigger than you or has like twice as many teeth as you. you yeah. Know? I think that's a good rule. Of thumb. I, I, I think it's funny, man. Like, look, look at it. Sharks should be terrifying in every single way. Yeah. But they're not because of media and how every failed attempt after Jaws Took it down another notch and another notch and another notch. I mean, I don't know, man. Steve would look awfully afraid in Jackass 3 when they went fishing with him. <laughs> the best shark movie since Jaws Jackass 3. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, like, he kicked that thing, too. I remember that. Yeah, he did. He's like, dude, I fucking kicked my fucking foot, dude. Yeah, that was funny. Um, fuck. But speaking of, on this um, shark talk and this type of thing. I don't know if I ever explained this on the podcast and you're probably going to roll your eyes at me because I'm a fucking moron, but I firmly believe that deep down at the very bottom of the ocean, because we haven't discovered what 90% of the ocean or something like that, that there are shit down there that can live under the pressure and with the lack of sunlight. And I'm terrified of that, the concept or the idea that something like that could possibly exist. Oh man, we could talk deep sea shit all day. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a marine biologist growing up because I found like see like aquatic life so fucking fascinating and i totally agree with you there's definitely something down there like you ever seen a um the disney movie atlantis lost empire yeah uh you know those leviathans yeah yeah with the thing that fucking pops out of mariana's trench yeah yeah i would not doubt that oh granted it wouldn't be a machine well, yeah. who knows man maybe but um yeah i there's definitely got to be some spooky shit down there you ever seen a goblin shark no no it's this weird like pointed nose shark right and they, they assume it's blind because it's pitch black down there but how it works is when it bumps something with its big old fucking snoot 
its jaw like unhinges from the inside of its head and it extends past that snout and bites down and Fuck reels off. back in. Yeah, I'll show you I'll show you a little no, fucking video okay. of it. I'm okay. But there's a lot of spooky <laughs> shit down there, man. That's what I'm saying. Like and, and, and you know you know what the worst part of it? I, I firmly believe that an angler fish is like the least of your worries abso- down abso- there. Absolutely. And those things are still pretty fucking terrifying. Yeah, man. That's my that's my belief. Uh that's one of the the strange things that I believe. Maybe we'll go into that tomorrow or next week about what the truth other. is stranger than fiction. Deep sea dives with Jake and Gabe. <laughs> Not even just that, but like other things that I think spook you that, and creep you out that just don't make any sense to me. Yeah, fuck it, we, fuck we, it. We'll we, get into it now. Fuck it. Okay, I'm a firm believer, and, uh-huh. you're, and this is another thing that, and then you're gonna be like, oh man, you got this from the fucking History Channel, but I don't. I really don't believe that the Egyptians slash Jewish uh, people or the Mayans built the pyramids. I don't believe it. I think. Here's here's my theory on it. I think that they were built by humans. I think the time frame in which people assume they got done is grossly underestimated mm-hmm. because they say it was done in what, like 50 years or some shit like that. Yeah. I don't believe that. I think that people at that time had a sense of construction, a sense of tolerances and shit like that to build this properly in the way it was built. I just think that it, it, it there's no way this thing was done in like, you know, I think people were building it from like years and years and years past. If you told me it was done in 200 years, I think that'd be a good estimate. Well, I know that they said that the Sphinx was not built around the time that they thought because due to the way the watermarks inside of the the structure and how during the time where it was supposedly built, there was no rain. Like they, they broke that down. I sound like Joe Rogan now, but yeah, right. <laughs> We're slowly devolving, but yeah. um, no, I think there's a lot of interesting things. Like, what do you think is underneath all that sand? What uh-huh. you, like, didn't they find the Sphinx like half buried or some shit? Yeah, it's crazy, huh? There's a lot of like weird shit we haven't discovered, or maybe some sh- man. We are really devolving into Joe Rogan right yeah. now. Yeah, some some lost city kind of shit. But there's a lot of stuff out there that's like up for debate, and you know, there's a lot of stuff that like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. But uh, yeah. So um, fuck. Where where are we, man? What's next on this agenda? <laughs> this is you. The next one. Oh you. yeah. So I sent you what. People are assuming is the next Star Wars poster. Pure speculation. Pure. Okay, so here's the story. It went up on Twitter. And it got deleted like a minute afterwards, and somebody caught a screen cap of it. Um, that being said, we see Ray, Kylo, um, Finn. What's his face? The other dude who I can't remember, Rose, and the Knights of Ren. I think that was probably the most interesting part. Oh, and C-3PO with a bowcaster. <sighs> I think... Oh, man. You know what it looked like to me, dude? Straight what? up. It looked like one of them generic posters that you get inside of Kmart. Yeah, it did. It did. And those poster bins? Like, yeah, yeah this is in bin A4. Yeah. Yeah, it did kind of look like it. And it's kind of sad to see that we've lost the magic in poster making. I feel like Mar- what Marvel did was they was they reinvented the game 10 years ago. Maybe even five years ago because the Iron Man posters were, were cool, right? But now you get dramatic group looking into the distance and hero looming right and granted you know star wars did it a while ago but with this whole marvel thing everything kind of feels like this is the staple this is what you should have in a action movie whether that be sci-fi superhero whatever the fuck it is if it's an action movie your poster should look like this and it's kind of upsetting i mean i take i took issue with um the last jedi changing up the format anyways because the star wars poster is so iconic looking and like from being for basically well 
when did they start doing like that actual format? Maybe around the, when the new prequels started to come out, they changed up the format and how it looked. I think it's such like there's such a high standard or such a good mark of where to like start off with. It's such a good template. And then the last Jedi is like, well, let's do white and red, and then we'll do uh, a misproportioned Kylo Ren, Luke Skywalker face, and this looks like that to me. I don't particularly love any of the movie covers for the Star Wars movies. I think they're iconic, like four, five, six. I think that's, you know, like a great, right? But I think we just come to the phase where it's like, while why wouldn't Disney hire Dan Mumford to do the posters now? Dan Mumford is a very talented man. And he did the, um, I had copies of the soundtrack for episode seven and he did a, uh, a Kylo version, a, uh, Finn version, uh, Captain Phasma version, and one more version. Oh, and a Ray version. There we go. He did four different like IMAX covers. He did the IMAX posters. There we go. Why would they just not do his shit for the actual movie poster instead of just the IMAX one? I don't know. Why would they not kind of try to branch out? You know. Well, like, well, going back. Sorry, get back to the task at hand. About that poster that you showed, it's lacking a title. That's like the thing. Yeah, that's very purposeful. Yeah. I'm not even gonna acknowledge it. Because yeah. we're going to get a title within, I'd say, like a month, six yeah. weeks. What My point is, if it was like an official Star Wars trailer, it would have the title. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I'm I'm still kind of bummed out about this whole Star Wars situation, but, um, man, we'll see. I'm, I'm just curious to see how this trilogy ends off and if there's any way of salvaging it now. Guess we'll find out. I, I just thought the poster was kind of... I think the most interesting part was, like I said, the Knights of Ren. Because... Yeah. And I'm severely worried about that and the whole C-3PO thing. The dude's never touched a gun in his life, right? Well, I don't know if you want to count that shit in episode two where they swap heads. I don't. But, no, yeah, we don't count um, that. But like, are the Knights of Ren just going to be these nine guys, like the red Imperial guards and eight? Just get, get fucked or up. Or they get fucked up in five minutes? Cannon just fodder. Cannon fodder. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just kind of, that's what I'm concerned about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting moving forward on how they're going to take that. Also, Kylo Ren had his mask back on. That was another thing that kind of led me to, to yeah. think that there was some kind of, like I said, it looks like they took uh, maybe aspects or... Um, yeah, I guess aspects from like the previous movies that came out and just kind of copy and paste them onto one poster. Yeah, man. And that's this is all kind of still up in the air right now. It's nothing official. Yeah. I guess we'll see when it when it comes out and then we can dissect it. Yeah. I guess we'll see. I mean, I, I think we're going to get news on that sooner rather than later. You know what I mean? I think it's got it's got to be coming soon, right? Like it absolutely has to. Hey, man, it's in December and we're pretty much in April right now. I, I'm thinking after Endgame, they're going to drop the big the big bomb. Maybe have a a, a preview. Yeah, like and a the, little snippet. Yeah, and that's end, fair. In front of Endgame. Um, but, yeah, I don't, or I don't know. Or at the end of Endgame, post-trailer Endgame, and then you link the universe. No, all right. I'm going to stop ruining my yeah. my shit. All right, uh, talk to me about uh, Captain Marvel. So, uh, me and Adriana went last night to go see it. 10 o'clock showing. Um, we felt like it. I uh, went to go see it. Um, it's interesting. because you Have you seen some of the flack this movie has caught on the internet? By no. chance? You, you stayed away from it? I've stayed far the fuck away from from it yeah okay so um basically i think there's a mistake made when it comes to um the people working on the film who have worked on the film representing it as a certain thing so i think people assumed or because based on comments made by the cast and the makers that this is a feminist film right a feminist movie um because their main character is a female. That which is makes not, sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not, well, apparently Brie Larson said such things, right? And you know, the internet, right? Uh, cesspool of bullshit and nonsense and all the ugly things that 
people feel that people think in the back yeah, of their that head. People won't say in yeah. public. Yeah. The people think in the back of their head, but never have the boss to say. Uh, so basically, uh, they were doing the whole Metacritic thing where people were tanking it because they didn't like what the film stand for, right? Which is the same thing that us is going through right now because it's an all black cast, la la la. Meanwhile, you know, uh, people are freaking out a couple years ago about the Oscars, remember? Because there was no black actor nominated for best whatever the fuck, right? And I think we said on this podcast, we're like, well, let's make better movies, right? Meanwhile, Jordan Peele's doing that. He makes a movie that kicked ass with Get Out and making another movie, which apparently kicks ass. And they're upset that black actors are in it. Meanwhile, they're saying the same people who are saying, well, maybe we should make more black movies or something like that. Yeah, it's a dog chasing its own tail. Really. Absolutely. So um, they made a mistake by marketing it as that, as labeling it as that. Because honestly, dude, as far as the feminist tones, it was not there at all. I think there's a very distinct. Whoops. I think there's a very distinct distinction. Right is what is what I was going for that, but I think there's a very dis- motherfucker. I think there's, there's a, a line. There's a distinction. Yes, between <laughs> feminism and equality. No, not equality. Like an empowerment in in the movie aspect. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's one thing to show that women kick ass. Something like Alien. Right. Yeah. We mm-hmm. saw that. That empowers women. Yep. And there's something else. There's a, there's a clear line between that and being like. Your your typical like feminist agenda, yeah, that they got to get through, yeah. And I think I'm all for the empowerment. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like don't don't try to separate them. Don't try to fucking you know you know what I'm saying? No, I got you. If you're gonna make this woman badass, make her badass. Don't make her necessarily everything that a modern feminist should be. She should be badass because she's badass, well, not because she fills checkbox A, B, C, and D. Well, what's what's funny about it is that like like I said, I I didn't see I didn't feel that that bombardment of feminist undertones if anything it is an undertone right the same way that wonder woman had its undertones but that yeah, absolutely stop, and that, that was a great movie yeah it didn't stop me from fucking feeling a certain way about it i fucking loved the wonder woman movie. i thought it was fucking fantastic to this day probably to, for me to me the best dc film I, I think that there's just like this mentality now where and, and you know this is coming from a white guy where if it's not a white lead yeah that people problems. are like you're pushing your your you know your racial your social agenda on us yeah no dude it's a movie about this badass woman who is a superhero yeah and to touch on that jordan peele thing he tweeted about it he's like i don't i, I didn't cast a white person because they weren't in my vision i didn't see them as white people yeah that's totally fine dude it's your fucking movie yeah. you wrote it you directed it Cast whoever the fuck you want. Get, Absolutely. Get your message across. Absolutely. So that's a part of it. And also these were the same people freaking out because Finn was in fucking Star Wars and he was the lead. Like, like these are the type of things that exist. But anyway, get back to the film. I didn't feel the the, the bombardment of the feminist agenda. I didn't, honestly. Uh, it was subtle. Like I said, undertones. You could definitely get what they were trying to say. They had a scene in the movie where Brie Larson was fucking throwing down and they played uh, Just a Girl by No Doubt, which I thought was kind of cool. It kind of had a Guardians of the Galaxy kind of a vibe to it, so I thought that was interesting. Um, as far as Brie Larson and how she did... That's your girl, man. That's my girl. Uh, sure, fuck. Her charisma bleeds through the fucking t- screen. Even if they give her maybe less than uh, interesting dialogue, she finds a way to make it interesting because she is so charismatic and dynamic. Uh, I love her as an actress. I think she's phenomenal. She did a great job. Uh, Nick Fury kind of had that, um, you know, how normally he has he fits the kind of the, what's the fuck, like the narrator or the, the person who set up a scenario mm-hmm. within the other Marvel films. This one, he was kind of like a comic relief kind of character because... I love Samuel Jackson. Yeah, this is his first introduction to kind of dealing with this 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 world. that the Superhero he, bullshit, yeah. yeah. Uh, Captain Marvel was the the first in the timeline. Well, not really the first, but uh, 
the the first one outside of this world to to reach us right um so there was kind of some funny moments when it came to that um as far as the villain it's not abundantly clear until the end as far as like who it is now you got under the scroll right no not the scroll no so okay spoiler alert because it's been out for a couple weeks at this point if you were gonna see it you're gonna see it i'm sure gabe was like nah I'll pass because that's how gabe is on these marvel movies at this point which i understand but that's another thing that people kind of freaked out about the scrolls weren't necessarily bad they weren't good they were kind of they were almost acting as refugees uh in the, between the scroll and kree war that's like a like a known thing uh this particular set of scrolls in this movie the maybe like the first 60% of it, the movie was making us to believe that they were the bad, the bad guy, the villain about halfway through. This is this particular set of scrolls. Again, I have to make that abundantly clear. Um, they were just refugees trying to hide from the war because they were being el- eliminated by the Kree. Right. Um, so they made this set very sympathetic. Right. Uh, because basically it was uh, a guy who was looking for his family, the scroll that you're dealing with mainly. I thought it was pretty good. Um, now, not to be said that it maybe in this universe there are there are scrolls that are fucking assholes. I'm sure. Yeah, just because you're a bad guy doesn't make you a bad guy. He's right? Like, is that from Wreck It Ralph? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Who said that? Satan? No, uh, the wrestler guy. Zengi. Right? Zengi yeah. said it. Um, but yeah. Um, so this particular set is not bad. But I think moving forward after the whole Thanos Infinity War thing comes to an end, I think. The next big bad in the whole Avengers kind of story arc storyline is going to be Super Scrolls. It's going to come from the Scrolls. Yeah, that's what I think. Um, but well, you know what they're going to have to fix for that, right? What Fantastic Just Four? Yeah, Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. Third times to try. Yeah. Third reboot. Third reboot. Fourth movie total. I guess mm-hmm. there's probably some sneaky Japanese version that exists somewhere. I'm sure. <laughs> All right, so uh, give it give it a rating, man. Well. Um, it was a good movie. I will give it a solid seven. It was a good movie. Is that the scale we're using? I thought we were using. Oh, we're doing a uh, letter. Oh, we're doing letter. See, I see. I forget. See, we we're never consistent on these things. I, um, I'll give it a B minus. It cool. was a good. It was a good movie. I, I cool enjoyed solid. it. Um, I think it sets the stage for, um, Captain Marvel. I think I mentioned this on previous pods. Uh, her kind of being the face moving forward, the leader of the Avengers, because. Uh, she, the name, the very, the very name based on this universe, the name of the Avengers came from her because her, in her human world, um, her call sign was the Avenger or Avenger. So Nick Fury is looking at photos. He's like, initially he, he got his eye scratched out in this movie too. It was stupid, but it's funny. Um, he's looking like at a photo and on the side of her plane, it says Avenger. And he's like, Oh. The Avenger initiative. He changed Protector to Avenger because he saw the picture. Very cool. Yeah. So um, moving forward, like I said, I believe Brie Larson and Captain Marvel are going to be the face of this thing. And uh, I'm not mad about it. I I like her. I'm a big fan of Brie Larson. I don't know if that's just me being a fanboy, Gabe. You could tell me if it is. I don't know. I think know. it's fair to like her. Yeah. But um, I'm looking forward to it moving forward. Very cool, man. Uh, cast whoever you want to cast. Make the movies you want to make. And don't judge a movie by its poster. Absolutely. So, I think that was a pretty good movie chat. All right, what's next? Um, oh, yeah, gaming. So, on Thursday, we had the Gearbox stuff at PAX East. So, yeah. here's how their whole reveal went. They got an hour to do it, right? For the first 
50 minutes. Here's what they covered. Um, smaller companies that they either teamed up with or absorbed and the games that they're working on. Lots of cool stuff coming out. Um, they covered... Great. Just, so just to clarify, this is a Gearbox-only presentation. Yes, this was the Gearbox presentation at PAX. At PAX, at PAX. Okay. Okay. So yeah, companies they're working with, companies they absorbed. A um, couple of other things. Borderlands 1 is getting a remaster with some quality life changes, which I'm super excited for. I actually re-downloaded that. I'm going to be playing that. should be fun. Uh, and then they were talking about this Borderlands card game, like board game card game that they have. They're like, yeah, so what do you guys think about the new Borderlands? And everybody was like, what What the fuck? That was it? And they roll the trailer for Borderlands 3. So this was the... It was very like Ed Boon inspired, in my opinion. <laughs> so this was the thing that we were speculating then, right? This was Yeah, the... so I, I was kind of wrong because I said I don't know how it's going to be. And yeah, so it's Borderlands 3. It's out there. It looks very cool. They hit um, a shift code in the initial teaser. Mm -hmm. And so what a shift code is, is, you know, if you play Borderlands, like you get like five loot keys and they like tweet these out every month. They're completely free. You get like five loot keys and a special skin. So that was pretty cool. It was scary throughout the whole thing. And uh, yeah, man, it was announced. The new villains look pretty badass. It looks like a lot of fun. And yeah, dude, my my year is going to be absolved with like Halo, the Master Chief Collection coming to PC. Borderlands One, Resident Evil Two, like all these like good IPs coming. Did back. you finish Devil May Cry? I have not yet. No, man, I've been super busy. Hmm. I, I've got most of my review finished. However, I'm gonna wait to wrap up the story. Okay, fair enough. So soon, I promise. I haven't even booted the Division Two yet. That's my second question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> haven't. I, man, I'd be surprised if I got around to it even this year because there's a lot of good shit. Yeesh. Yeah, we get that quality of life update for Borderlands on Wednesday. So, <laughs> oh, copy that. Yeah, should be good stuff. Um, so I thought that was pretty amusing. You know any other big moves? Big, other any other big news that came from Paxi by chance? Have you seen? I do else? not. No, I, I didn't really pay much attention. to I it. I remember um, when Paxi used to be like a bigger deal. I feel like it's kind of fallen at the wayside. Definitely fallen, man. It's weird. Yeah. Because you think with like everybody kind of taking on their own thing. Like, you know, the Nintendo Direct and the PlayStation Experience. They had a state of play for Sony, which was very uh, underwhelming. People were expecting more. Um, but as far as, like, games coming out, man, Days Gone is coming out in a couple weeks. Obviously, we got MK coming out. We got some new uh, Last of Us footage. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. I do. I'm thinking... The game's got to be done. Uh, the game's got to be really close to done. I don't know, dude. End of the year, man. Christmas time. I don't think so. No? You know what I honestly, you know what I think? I think they miss out on E3 this year, obviously, because Sony's not going. It's going to be 2020 E3. They'll be like, all right, the next console's coming out next year as a final last hurrah, just like the previous. Jesus Christ, Elisana. Uh, kind of like the previous generation where the kind of the last hurrah, final shebang of the PS3 was The Last of Us. Just the same way it's how... It's going to be the transitionary, yeah. the transitionary game where it's available on both. But it looks much better on the new one. Well, to be fair, I mean, there's like a year difference between the two. But um, they're going to say, okay, now your dog is going to lead us out. Going to play the final song as an encore. And it's going to be the greatest game ever made. Uh, that's what I think at this point. Because I think they've been too coy about this whole thing. I think they've been really quiet. And I understand that they might be trying to keep it behind wraps, which absolutely you would. But I just feel like the lack of progress or the lack of uh, reports about progress it's kind of scaring me because I'm like, oh, man, how much longer am I going to have to fucking wait for this goddamn thing? So uh, I don't know. Nah, man, I think they're going to do what Ed Boone did, man. They're going to be like, here's the trailer drops in three months. Well, I can't now. I can't even debunk that because it's happened to me. I got slapped in the face. Yeah, with you, it. you've been you had the carpet pulled <laughs> over. you. I, I told you I fucking called it with MK11. You did. I was like, it's going to come out one day. And then Boone's going to say, 
Yeah, dude, 90 days, let's rock and roll. That's fucking crazy. And I think it was a little bit over three months, but it was still a short-ass time span. Four months. Four months. So yeah. not bad for me. Not bad. Yeah, so I guess we'll have to see moving forward. I don't really trust any of these developers at this point because I, I told you when they dropped the Mortal Kombat news is like usually NetherRealm's the studio that I have my closest eye on because I know that they're fucking trolly and they fucking pull the wool over my over my head. But uh, I don't think that'd be a bad strategy for Sony and Naughty Dog. I think that'd be actually pretty wise. But it's a question of do they want to do that and how close is the PS5? Yeah. You know, because if it's still in concept phase, then fuck it. Why would you wait? Yeah. This is pure speculation on my part, but. Very cool. Very cool. So we, right. I put another thing on here. I don't want to talk about it because it's the same bullshit that we covered last week with a different company. All Literally. Right. So I didn't see anything on this. Give me like a three sentence thing on this. Apple saw Google do this. Apple decided they wanted to copy Google. Apple is copying Google. <laughs> Who wants to game on an Apple product? I don't know. That's my thing. Like, again, I, I mentioned it last week. Again, I don't want to talk about it because we already talked about it last week. But who is this designed for? Who is this marketed for? I'm so confused. No I'm, idea. I'm really confused by all of this. I don't know where it's coming from. Who, you know, why now they, they want to do a, a subscription service. I don't fucking know, dude. I hate products as a subscription. Yeah. Here's, here's like this thing, right? There's a difference between like an eSport gamer and uh, like the casual gamer right when we fall somewhere in the middle be closer to casual right I'd okay say so and then like there's a, a very distinct difference between a casual gamer and somebody who doesn't fuck with this shit yeah and so uh, my thought is that this product the, the strata is a little different but the apple stuff has to be marketed for people in between there well my, my thing is like you can't you can't go halfway you got to pick one or another so, for instance, mobile games, they're meant to be casual, right? Now, when you try to bring that casual market and make it more of a hardcore thing, like a Ouya, for instance, it's going to fail because casual is casual for a reason, right? Hardcore gamers play on a PC or they play on a console that is designated to do that thing. And they know... And to do that thing well is yeah, the key concept. To, to do that thing well. The only time hardcore gamers play casually if it's on a casual format like a phone, right? So I don't understand. You can't, there is no in between either. You're going to market towards the casual, like the fucking original game boy, or you're going to go hardcore and go full all the way by providing a console. I don't understand where it's market towards. I don't and that's know. That's why they'll flop. Yeah. No shit. I think, <laughs> I think the Google one will have a bit more life to it because there is some pretty intriguing aspects to it. Yeah. But I think Apple it just purely based on brand and what they stand for. Like, what, are you going to make your own games obsolete in a couple of years? Yeah. You, you got to buy the, the two because you can't play one anymore. No, you can't. Yeah. It's, um, we're in an interesting predicament. And I think, I think honestly, console space, PC space, not going anywhere in the, in the next like couple decades. Yeah. And I don't see this Apple stuff taking off. I, I mean, the, the NVIDIA game stream hasn't taken off. Maybe Google will, will launch it to where it needs to be. But as of right now, if you're looking for, casual gaming experience you know where to go and if you're looking to put in some work on a hardcore gaming experience you also know where to go yeah it's, it's the, the the market's so defined and it's been like that for so long yeah, like it's, don't don't do don't half-ass it right yeah i, I don't know it's weird man it, it's a bit interesting thing and like i said i don't know how much we're going to cover this type of shit moving forward but uh because honestly we, 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 this is like the third week in a row somebody else has announced something that they were going to do as, as a subscription well service. like i think that just proves our point we wouldn't buy it no so who would your wife no. No. I'm going to get her a Switch. 
That's my plan. Oh, man, I want to switch bed. Me too. <laughs> yeah. You guys will have fun with it. It's great. Yeah. Um, so let's talk. Last week I spoke that I have a topic for debate this. And um, I think you and I have the same sense of urgency. We've been there. We've worked at the same hellhole for a couple of years there, right? Yeah. And they teach you urgency and what it is, right? And so I kind of – this thought crossed my mind the other day when we were watching – can't remember what we were watching. We were watching something. But have you noticed that like a lot of movies now and shows and whatever the fuck it is, any sense of media has this false sense of urgency. And I'm calling it a false sense because it's usually big, catastrophic, world in danger stuff. Okay. Yeah, right? And you see this trend. Like everything. Like the world is in danger. And that really irks me because why should I give a shit? And here's my thing. Sabrina season one, uh, the, the reboot, obviously, on Netflix, right? It worked well because there was this realistic sense of urgency. Because throughout the, what is it, 13 episodes? Yeah, 13, because it's spooky. Throughout the 13 episodes, you kind of get to know each character and their little quirks and what they like and what they stand for. And you kind of know everybody. And you learn to, I don't want to say grow with them because we only have one season, but you learn to appreciate them and where they are in this world. Yeah. And so the, the, the climax of the Sabrina season is that the entire fucking town is in danger. Right. And that's, that works so well because that's exactly who we should be caring about at this point. Yeah. We, you know, why would you scale that up into, Oh, the, I wouldn't even say, man, like Massachusetts is in danger. I don't give a shit. You know? Yeah. Why, why does that matter right now? And I feel like, just a lot of movies are pulling out this trump card where it's like, oh, everybody's going to die. Great. Finally. <laughs> Can I be included in that bunch? Right. You know, like, okay. that's my gripe, man. It's like, if you're going to have high stakes, you got to put in the time. You got to put in the time. You got to put in the development. Uh, I hate to say it, but Marvel did it right. They made you invested and they made you give a shit over the span of 10 years because they, you know, granted, they pull out the whole, oh, the world is going to. You know, well, that I think it, that they pull it out only when, uh, like it, it warrants it. So, like for instance, if you look at the first Iron Man, basically what was under what was fight fought for is controlling company of the controlling interest of Stark Industries, right? Like that's scaled. So, like you mentioned it when you were kind of going on your little rant about it, it's, it's scaling, right? Over time, that scale's got to get bigger. But first things first, you got to make sure that we care about this many people before you, we you care, about, care about your immediates, yeah. Before this many people. Uh, when you don't establish a world, who cares if it ends, right? So um, I think that's kind of the important part of it is the scaling of it. Over time, that scale's got to get bigger because we know more about the world. We understand more about the world in these universes that these people create, right? But if you're coming out out of the gate saying, oh, the world's in danger, it's like, well, I, I barely care about these three characters. Yeah, yeah, right. why, why do I care about everybody else going on in the world? Maybe they try to put you in a situation where you feel like you are in the world, but you know, at the end of the day, you're not. But that's my thing, like... Granted, individual Marvel movies have like, although the world's in danger, blah, 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 right? But what they built this up to is that you know a lot of these superheroes, you know a lot of these characters, you know the universe that this this universe takes place in, right? It's established. It's completely established and it's been established and you grew up with it for the past 10 years and now everything is in danger because Thanos. And that works because this was, it was not something that was cranked out lightning fast. Yeah. You know, you, they could have damn well done that in three or five years. And yeah. it would not have been as effective. And this is exactly why everybody's freaking out about Endgame. Yeah. Because they took the time, they established everything, and they scaled it up proportionately. Yeah. And my gripe is when you have a one-off movie, and it's like, the world is in danger. Why do I give a shit? We just met the main character. Yeah, I know you're right. <laughs> you know? And that's my that's my issue, man. It's this 
And I'm calling it a false sense of urgency is what I'm calling it. Because if, if shit's going down in the kitchen, but we're in the studio right now recording and there's a fire in here, we got to put out this fire before we even see what's in the kitchen, man. Yeah. Let that roast burn. Yeah. No, there's definitely some something to be said about that. Um, as far as like the philosophy, like I said, I think they, they, people use it or writers, producers, directors use it as a way to try to get you to invest into the world that you're in because they force it. Yeah. It's forced. It's forced. It's, it's false. Like you said, false. It's, um, misled that they think that we're going to care because we put ourselves in the world that maybe they created. Well, in actuality, you know what I mean? Good directing and writing doesn't force you to care. It makes you care. Yeah. And I think that with this false sense of urgency, I think a lot of the times it's very clearly stated. Yeah. Like the world is in danger. But when you have true emergency, like sense of emergency, they don't have to say it. You know what's at stake. And it's like, you know who does like a fantastic job of scaling towards the, the ultimate climax? Harry Potter. Harry yeah. Potter, proportionally, as time first, it was about him getting resurrected. And then, you know, these his, his attempts get more and more serious and thwarted as time goes on. And then he starts to get desperate. And then next thing you know, he comes back. And then nobody wants to believe he's back. Well, even then, man, like, look at, like, Prisoner of Azkaban. It wasn't even... It yeah. was like, it was like this guy killed my parents, or so we think, right? Yeah. I was like, I kind of have to have this closure for myself. And I was like, Voldemort was put completely on the side yeah. for the majority of that movie. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, it's like... I don't know. I think Harry Potter did a fantastic job of scaling because as, like you said, as the time goes on, the stakes become much higher and everything makes more sense and everything becomes that, that much more important because at the end of the day, you know, Voldemort in the first one was attached to a fucking wimpy, wimpy ass teacher. You know what I mean? And eventually he became the physical being that he became. Um, I don't mean to go on a side rant about this, but can we, I mean, how do you feel about his design in the movie? Voldemort's? Yeah. I think it was very excellent. You liked it? With the no nose thing? Yeah. I, I understand the need to make him snake looking and I understand that we're supposed to understand that he is not human like per se, but I don't like the design. I think they especially with the eye color. Cause I think at first he kind of had that snaky kind of eye, eye color, but then they kind of gave him like the blue, right? Yeah. And they kind of gave him the normal. I, I think when he came out, when he was resurrected in four, I think the over the top acting and the way he yeah. like ran his, fingers through his head. I thought that was really well done. And I think that's probably the best representation of Voldemort was in that 15 minute scene at the end of Goblet of Fire. Anything past that, he's really just like whatever to me. Yeah. You definitely. Know? But like that was like the crowning moment when you get when you get to first see the Dark Lord on screen. That was it for me. Because at that point you have a face to the name and you know this guy's gonna come in and fuck shit up. Yeah. I don't know. That was interesting to me. I don't know why I brought that but up. But yeah, man, that was kind of my random false sense of urgency. And I hate that it's this card that people feel the need to pull out. Absolutely. Because don't undercook your roast. Absolutely. Because it's going to be raw and no one's going to like it. And then you're not hosting Thanksgiving. <laughs> Which may not be a bad thing for some of us. Yeah, right? <laughs> Shit. All right. So I came up with a game last night on my way to the movie theater. Cool. And I thought this was kind of funny. Uh, so it's going to be kind of a convoluted game. So you have to bear with me a little bit. All right. You, sir, are in charge of a musical project, something that you want to create yourself, right? Whatever it is, imagine it in your head. Now, the only caveat is, is that you can name only name songs based on one-liners from one movie. Which movie is that? One-liners from one movie? Yeah. So if I have like a one-liner and let's say, uh, like how does this work? How do I connect the two? 
there's no connection. You just you just like there's the songs aren't based off the titles. They're just like that quirky early 2000s, mid 2000s thing where every band was naming their their songs after stupid shit that didn't have nothing to do with the song. And you just name them. Oh, okay. I see what you mean now. Yeah. Um, what movie? I think there's a there's actually probably a handful of movies I do. I got one. Uh, is it Pulp Fiction? No. No? <laughs> no. I picked one movie because I love the one-liner so much in it. And it was a movie that Adriana brought up the other day. From Finch's I... ass? No. No, not American Pie? No. What it's, is it? It's fun with Dick and Jane. I can't calm down on, on being indicted. <laughs> <laughs> no, I order Kentucky Bluegrass. Me llamo Dick Harper. <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Um, sometimes the best cure is a clean conscience. That type of Those shit. Those are pretty good. Yeah, they're not bad. And for like a for like a four year strongy kind of band. Yeah, that's because that's what caused it is because what the you're doing your ten song. Huh? I was doing my ten song set list, and I'm like, I get all these fucking references like uh, stolen credit card or wipe yourself off, man, you're dead. Like that's like that's the good shit, man. But that's what inspired this is the four year strong having all their it's songs. That frat house punk. Yeah. Um. So I made me laugh. Like uh, I'm I'm a corporate puppet stuff like that. Um. So that's like that's the only reason why it came to my my mind because Adrian was continuing to repeat lines that were funny from the movie, and that made me enjoy it more. And then like the last song title on my album will be well, yeah. Now I'm working at Enron. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah. So I feel like I'd have to sit on this, but bring it back next week then. We'll bring it back next week. I think off the top of my head, I think Ten Things I Hate About You would be a good movie. <laughs> okay. There's some I don't want to say like hefty in the one liners department. I think there's a lot of good things you could take out of context of the dialogue and make good song titles out of yeah yeah any tarantino really yeah absolutely. i think pulp fiction are probably the most english motherfucker do you speak <laughs> <laughs> definitely uh this is a song about immigration uh, <laughs> royale cheese like royale uh, cheese yeah that's some good shit in there i oh man I just start driving in the face <laughs> god damn it they call him the wolf yeah 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 absolutely that's some good shit in there there's some quality shit in there yeah fuck man i'm like combing through like a list of movies in my head right now. So yeah, I, 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 I'll definitely bring it back next week. That's a pretty good thing. Okay, cool. It's a very cool. I thing. don't. This is not obviously. I don't think it's going to be a weekly game. It's just something that I thought was funny. Yeah, I, I'll come back to you with some heat next week. How about uh, that? Absolutely. All right. So uh, yeah, let's talk music news and reviews. Absolutely. What do you want to start off with? Uh, well, let's do it order. Let's do it in order, and then we will go back to the top with the March Madness. All right. Uh, so we've noticed this. Void and not Vanna. We're not going to get into that this week. Um, we've noticed this kind of hole in our hearts and our souls now that the true form of Warp Tour is gone. We have a decomposing shell of what it once was. Yep. Sad. And so we've seen a couple of bands, festivals, concerts, whatever you want to call it, try and fill in these gaps. Yep. So I think the two most notable ones right now so far is is this Disrupt Fest, which is done by Rockstar and kind of uh, makes sense. I'll cover the. The, the, the lineup and you can go pull up the other one because I'm sure very you cool um, so this disrupt fest covers kind of the rock towards metal aspect of this yeah and then the other one uh, I wanted to bring up I'm not going but uh, the summer sadness which covers a good chunk of like the pop punk bands yep that should have been at warp this year absolutely so talk to me about disrupt so disrupt is um, it's obviously I don't think it's as long as the warp tour was I think it's more of like a 16 date thing but it hits all the major all the major markets which is fair uh, obviously, Rockstar throwing their name into the ring. I know that they were part of Uproar for a little bit as like the main sponsor, but kind of dabbled here and there as far as like their um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, participation in this field. Uh, and I'm just gonna go ahead and give you the guys the lineup real quick. 
Uh, Hydro the Hero, who I have no idea who the fuck that is. Uh, Juliet Sims, don't know who that is. Megan Dia, I think I've seen before at, at Goose Island's Black so, Party thing. Um, if this is the Megan Dia I'm thinking of, are they DJs? Yeah. I think oh, so. Oh, wow. They used to be part of uh, Monster Cat back in the day. I used to jam out to that shit. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Funny. So, funny how they end up on this. Yeah. Uh, Trophy Eyes, which I'm vaguely interested in. Like, somewhat. Uh, Memphis Mayfire, who I'll see because they're awesome. Uh, Four Year Strong, who I'm stoked, really stoked about seeing again. Uh, Andy Black, who's not playing our stop anyways. Sleeping with Sirens, could care less. Atreyu is going to be dope. Uh, the story so far, whatever. Some 41, stoked. Circus Survive, stoked. Thrice, stoked. And the used. Uh, it looks like they're handlining this whole event and this whole shindig. So, yeah. So I think there's good variety in there. Absolutely. And honestly, the used. Are you kidding me? That smacks. That's yeah. good. And Atreyu. Yeah. The used and Atreyu, man. What a good fucking combination. It's a valiant effort. effort. Absolutely. Yeah, it really is. Because yeah. there's 101 ways to half-ass this, but Rockstar didn't. I yeah. appreciate that. Rockstar put some thought and they were like, okay, what would be a good compilation of music that we could put together that isn't so far out? That where it doesn't seem like where it feel like it's disjointed, but it's close enough and related where it makes sense. It's a cohesive unit. Uh, this is a solid lineup, man. Um, like this, this lineup could easily be like the main stage of a warp tour. You know what I mean? Like yeah, a, I the, totally get it. If that was like a journey's left foot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this would totally fit that vibe. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see Thrice, man. It's been a long time, so I think that would be sick. There, there's some good bands on here, man, and uh, I think they did a good job. However, I am waiting for uh, a notable sponsor from the warp tour scene to get involved into this i'm surprised they haven't yet monster 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 energy i'm surprised monster did not bring out their own heavy festival version of this you know what we should have realistically think about how much money monster rockstar and red bull have between each other a lot are you i mean if that if those bands are representing rockstar imagine what bands would be representing like attila <laughs> no monster and, yo no monster will have basically the same lineup that they've had for fucking all the the Red Dawn, White Lightning shit, yeah. where it would be like the Silent Planets of the World and stuff like that, Silverstein. And I'm surprised that, that they haven't announced such things or if they even plan to. I'm Very interesting. Know. Yeah. Maybe we should have a like a consignment of energy drink companies come together and put forth a Mamma Jam of a festival. Well, I know that um, Red Bull will probably be kind of the most unique and probably the most mainstream. Well, because Red Bull does, uh, they do a lot of like sports, like extreme sports yeah. and stuff. Um, I'm curious to see who they'd bring out. Probably, probably like the Fever. I think that'd be a safe bet. Yeah, it's not bad. Beartooth because they're sponsored. Oh uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, but like I think more, like I said, more of the mainstream spectrum of that. I think. Um, but I think Monster would be more like the Upon a Burning Bodies of the World and stuff like that. And Chelsea Grin and shit nah, like that. Man, Upon a Burning Body would be sponsored by. Uh, you ever have a Venom Energy Drink? <laughs> you ever have one of those? No. The original formula was fucking potent. I remember I had one of those when they came out. That shit fucked me up real good. And essentially, I guess they went under and Walmart bought them out. And you can get them for like a dollar now. They're they're still really fucking good. It's like <laughs> Four loco, you know? It's still good, but it's not the same good that it once was. Or but, bad, depending yeah, how you look at it. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think Upon a Burning Body would be like them. I don't know if, the, if Venom is a Chicago thing or not. but I don't know. I yeah. haven't seen them anywhere outside. But yeah, man. Um, so this is actually the the sad summer tour, not summer sadness. That's a Lana Del Rey song. Whoops. But... <laughs> Um, so here's the lineup. It's uh, Every Avenue, Emo Night, Forever the Sickest Kids, Set It Off, Four Years Strong. Hello. What? Yeah. Uh, the Wonder Years, The Main, Mayday Parade, and State Champs. I think that's a also pretty valiant effort. Excuse you? Towards the pop punk scene and the frat punk scene. Uh, Four Years Strong is on the ballot. Yeah, I have the poster. I have the thing. Let me see. Up. Oh, uh. I shit you not. Granted, it's only in select cities, but they're still on 
the the quote unquote tour. Yeah, pretty interesting, huh? So four years strong got a busy summer. Huh? Yeah. I mean, good for them. You, you didn't believe me there, did you? But they are on the full disrupt, so that's good because I'm going. Good to see them back touring. It's, they've been kind of quiet. Since yeah, 2016, uh, right? They have yeah. Warped tour they were on. No, they were on last year. They're, ah, yeah. I totally but forgot about but they haven't come out with an album in a couple of years. I know 2015. That. Yeah, I know. four years. I know it's been a, uh, four four years strong. I but, see what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you can't fool me. Yeah, but um, so yeah, I think that's you know. As far as that, I mean, it's not my not my vibe, but I'm sure. Yeah, man, if you're in that scene, it's going to be a good show. Here's is, my kind of gripe. Is Maddie going? Um, well, she's debating it right now. We have a very busy May. We have like something every weekend. And it's going to be super chaotic. So we kind of got to pick and choose. Settle, really. your, settle your priorities. Um, here's my gripe. And I think both of these on their own are good concerts to go to. My gripe is that they're separate. And I feel like if you got like a whole one day shtick with these, like all these bands together, I think you'd have a pretty good, like pseudo warp tour, really. Yeah. You know, and so it's kind of sad. So you want these two things to combine? Is that what you're trying to say? Not saying that necessarily. I'm saying if it did combine, we'd have something closer to warp tour than well, as I opposed think, to a regular festival. I think that they're making the conscientious choice not to become warp tour light. So I think they're 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 gonna take kind of the formula because from what I looked at the disrupt website and separate the stages. Yeah, they're they're gonna do the separate stages thing, but the they're only gonna do one band playing at a time. So I'm assuming maybe the smaller bands would be on the the two smaller stages alternating left and right, and then maybe like the last four or five bands being in the pavilion. I granted I have no like uh, foundation for that. Like it's just me tossing ideas out in my head. I don't know that for sure. But for me, I'm looking at the time and how many bands are playing. Uh, apparently, it opens up at one. And, uh, you know, they got like 10 bands that play and then, you know, minimum half an hour a piece, if that, um, with the, you know, change up time in between and set up and pull down and all that good stuff. I don't know if they're going to be able to fit everybody in that amount of time, mm. assuming it gets done like at 11. It's on a Friday night. Yeah. Nah, dude, they're going to do one band at a time. On, on the, in the pavilion, you think? Really? Yep. I hope, I hope not. I would not doubt that. Tinley goes late, man. Tinley goes late. Yeah, but I don't want that. Uh yeah man I guess you'll see closer when it gets yeah uh because uh, I was I was gonna buy the tickets but I actually wanted a seat but my sister's boyfriend bought it so I'm not gonna complain it's a free, I don't want to say free ticket because I'm paying him back but you know he took the initiative to buy the fucking ticket so <laughs> hey man it should be a fun day out yeah all right talk to me about MCR so I've been doing a little bit of um research I guess on them recently because obviously you've probably seen it on the internet uh, on Twitter and stuff like that people whining and crying for these people to come back they're not together. coming back Stop yeah. It this band to come back together. Uh, now Gerard away, obviously he's had success with the umbrella Academy being on Netflix and is doing all, his own separate stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Doing his own writing and all that good stuff. Um, so I've been doing some research because historically speaking, I'm not the biggest MCR fan, right? I do enjoy them. Don't get me wrong. I, I've never said that they were bad. I will never say MCR sucks because I think that's lying, but um, been doing my research about kind of what they did in the previous albums and the black parade and all that good stuff. And uh, they had a DVD come out a couple of years ago. Um, called the Black Parade is Dead. And essentially, what it was is them playing a playing a concert in front of a really large like Mexican stadium and like a bunch of people, right? But on like the B side or the flip side of that, they had them playing a show in like in the middle of nowhere in New Jersey in front of like 200 kids, like at the peak of their popularity with the whole Black Parade thing. And um, you know, everybody's talking about the grandiose of the whole Black Parade thing and the theatrics of it all. And sure, Pyro's great, but and at the end of the day, I think this is a band that blew up and did a really good job with that. But I think they would have done themselves greater service if they stayed in the smaller 
vein because I saw the show and it was fucking energy. It was fucking bananas. It was these guys like really feeling like it's supposed to caring less about how they visually looked and about the theatrics of the whole presentation that they played the music first and they did a good job with it. And um, I don't know. It's just a philosophy that I have that maybe sometimes these bands who have a gimmick or something that they have a theming of can kind of <coughs> name kills. Maybe uh, put that to the side and focus more on the, the music. I was thinking more like motionless and white because at least they don't wear makeup. But uh, I guess now they do. But uh, who? Uh, Ice Nine Kills, I guess. They not. wear makeup. They definitely wear yeah. makeup. Now they do, yeah. But um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe we should. So some of these bands who have gimmicks should maybe sometimes put that to the side and focus on what's important. Here's my thing, man. I think if you put the music first, it's always going to show. Yeah. And it has shown with bands like Slipknot. The mask was not a gimmick. The mask was just high, separating Corey from number, what was he, one? Or whatever number he was, right? Corey was nine, I think. It was separating Corey Taylor from number nine. Yeah. Right? It was separating the two animals. And that showed. Uh, the masks were not a gimmick. And there's, I'm sure there's countless other bands we can name. And I'm sure there's even more bands we can name who did have a gimmick and that really did show. Right? Um, totally agree with you. And uh, back kind of on the MCR thing, I think Three Cheers is, the album is back on the top 40 in like the it first is. time in like a couple years, right? Yeah. In five or 10 years. Uh, there was a hybrid theory, but like a park popped on the fucking billboards again too. Yep. Now, obviously when Chester died, they popped back up, like all their albums popped back up on the billboard. But I wonder why, I wonder if there's like this deep dive for that nostalgic kind of sense of the early mid two thousands where people are trying to listen to the shit they were listening to when they were a kid. I don't know how the MCR intergroup communication and drama was, but I think that, if MCR would have held it out and if they wanted to hold it out, I think they'd be probably even bigger, honestly, because they had a phenomenal fucking run. Yeah, they did. But then you compare that to bands like Rage Against the Machine. They had a phenomenal run, but those guys cannot work together. Yeah. A good chunk of those guys, they, they let their egos get in the way and they just can't, you know, they just can't fucking do it. Well, from what I understand is that it wasn't so much of the relationships things that was a problem. Either. It was everybody wanted to do their own thing. It was that them... Enjoying being with each other, but wanting to do their own thing. Um, and now I think maybe some some fatigue had set in because you have to keep in mind these guys started this band when they were very young, and they got really popular very fast. Uh, once like I'm not okay came out, that shit fucking blew up sky high and all that. So I apologize if you hear my kid tossing her blocks around her room. But um, so yeah, I mean, maybe some fatigue set in. I don't blame them. They were they were fucking running 100 miles per hour, man. They did not stop touring at all. A phenomenal live performance. I've seen them a couple times. They're really good. Hey, man, look at Under Oath. They went dark for six years. That, yeah, they're, they were in the same boat, though, because they just... Yeah, every, they were like 18, right? Every every two years, they had a new album come out. They could, could tour not, relentlessly all summer. Yeah. Come home for a week, go back on tour. You just get tired of that shit, I'm sure. You know what I mean? And then, I don't know. I, I'm not asking for them to come back because I think that they're all better off mentally from doing their own thing. You know what I mean? And And... God forbid the new album is garbage because now everybody wants to do a different thing than what MCR was 10 years ago, right? Yeah. So would you rather leave off MCR on a phenomenal high note or would you come back and devalue the name? You know, it's like, I think that would be my biggest concern because I'm in the same boat as you. I love MCR. I was never like, you know, you wouldn't catch me with an MCR tattoo or a band shirt, right? But I do appreciate the art form, the music and the love that goes into everything that they've crafted up to this point. But that would be my biggest worry is like, well, if MCR comes back now, 
one, are they going to be completely different? And two, are we going to be completely different? Because 10 years ago, you and I did very different people, man. We had different tastes, different interests, and that music influenced us very differently. Yeah. And now, you know, what if, what if they don't change, but we did and we're like, this is okay at best. Or what if they completely change the sound and they throw like soul funk at us? I don't know. You know, and that's that's kind of that's kind of the predicament MCR is in right now. It's like, oh, come back! No, don't, man. You come back when? How old is Black Parade now? What was that 2010, 2009? Shit, no, that's oh, older no. than that. It's older earlier than that. that. 2006, maybe. Hold on. Okay, look. never mind. I was gonna say 2005. Maybe do a 15 year on that. Hold on, let me look. Because maybe like I want to. Because it's definitely before 2020. Uh, 07 Definitely before that Because I saw them in 07 With Lincoln Park Great show by the way Did I ever tell you the lineup for that show? No What was the lineup? It was Lincoln Park My Chemical Romance Taking Back Sunday Him Placebo Julian K The Bled Seosin Mindless Self Indulgence What? And uh, Medina Lake Styles of Beyond 2 That was a sick show Wow Okay Speaking of which I don't mean to change topic On the whole MCR debate I'm sorry 2006 um, Say so I do a 15 year in two years Yeah Maybe or maybe you know what you know to get the people really going. They play a one-off show in a dirty fucking small venue that they don't tell anybody about until like a couple hours before. And if you show up, you see it. If you don't, you don't. Yeah, like what cool. Under Oath did. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, speaking of that lineup that I mentioned, so I saw footage of him performing. Right, mm-hmm. I've seen them play a couple times. Fun fact: I turned Maddie. She likes him now. Yeah, yeah. How'd you do that? Um, I you, you just, just played on. you just played uh, Killing Loneliness until she couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> no, I, I I actually don't particularly love that song. Really? I, it's good. I think him has much better songs than that. Like what? Uh, right here in my arms. Um, uh, your sweet six six six. Uh, honestly, the whole Razorblade Romance is a fucking banger of an album, dude. Join me in death. You join me in death is good too. Yeah. Anyway, <sighs> lots of good stuff. So I saw the footage of um of them playing and. Poison Girl. He was a example of of a wonderful, wonderful, t- extremely talented vocalist, but a fucking boring frontman. Yeah, I think you've mentioned this before. He had like, I'm watching. Like, he sounded phenomenal. He sounded great. People were like, "Oh, he's lip syncing." I'm like, "No, there's def- there's different, definitely a distinction between the way the album sounded and the way he sounded that particular night." It's not that. It's the fact that he's boring as fuck to watch. He stands there smoking a cigarette the whole fucking set, and he's boring. Here's the thing. I think with a band like him, and I think this is like one of the very few exceptions, I think Vili Valo can get away with that because it fits the whole goth vampire aesthetic. No, you're definitely right about that. It's not... If Beartooth did that, no go. Yeah. Motionless and White, no go. You pick any other band. I think like Greta Van Fleet can get away with doing that. Him can get away with doing that with the lead singers up there smoking a cigarette and singing. I think very few, very like Bob Dylan can do it. No, I definitely, I definitely see that, but and it's, like you said, him music doesn't necessarily um, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go apeshit on stage just based on how the music's composed and put together. But a little bit more effort would have been nice. Totally with L- you on that. A little bit more emotion. There's a separation between talented vocalist and great frontman. Yeah, and there's very rare instances where you get both. Yeah, like honestly, when. When I when I was playing, I, I I was a decent vocalist at best. Like, but as far as a frontman, I was dynamic and had a lot of fun. That was like where I drew. I, I was an alright vocalist at best. But as far as being a frontman, I thought I did a pretty good job. And that's like like you said, it's very hard to come across somebody who's both. And uh, like for example, Jason Aldean yeah. or Jason Butler. I'm sorry, what the fuck? Yeah, why do you keep doing you, that? You know, because because I keep 
I keep joking around because his middle name is Alan, Jason Alan, Alan Butler, and I yeah. call him Jason Aldean Butler as yeah. like a joke, and now it's like engraved into my brain. <laughs> um, yeah, he he's a great example of both. Caleb Shomo, you, you kind of grow into that role after you've been doing this for eleven years. Forever, yeah, that's and, definitely part of it. Yeah, you know, I'm sure we can think of a lot more, but it's it's a rare occurrence, really. Mm-hmm. Faux show. So yeah, the, sorry that we got off on topic. Very on cool. That. So talk to me about I Prevail. So you did this review. I didn't. I want to make I, that clear right I now. I did. So uh, historically, um, when we talked about I Prevail in the past, I know you were a little bit bigger on them than I was. I liked the initial stuff they came up, they came out with, and then I kind of fell off. They were new and exciting, and I fell for it. I don't want to say that in a bad way, like oh, I fell for the scam. They're, the the shit they were cranking out when they were new enticed me, and I liked that. Yeah. And I kind of grew out of it now. All right. So, at me personally, when I first heard them, I'm like. Typical, seen it, heard it, done it, whatever. Uh, wrote them off as kind of a one-hit wonder kind of deal. So they dropped a new album. I hadn't heard anything about this prior to this, by the way. I just kind of showed up one day. So I'm like, all right, fine. Let me see. Because usually um, this, if they had a good first album or had a um, – what's the more I'm looking for? Had a initial craze. Yeah, I'm like, let's see what how, how the sophomore attempt went, right? Because usually this is where it really falls off the, the, the boat. For some bands. Yeah, I think our rules three, right? Yeah, I, I think that's what we said for Beartooth. It's like, yeah, well, the first one was good. Let's wait till number three because that's when you set up patterns. Right? Yeah, patterns are at three. Absolutely. So or trends. I'm sorry. There no, we go. no, you're right. Um, so I listened, and I have a unique perspective on this thing. So uh, I think it would have been very easy for them to kind of copy and paste the the sound from the previous effort. Uh, I think it'd been very easy to replicate that. I think. They took some chances on this one. I think um, they knew that they can do that very well, and it's very simple to do that very well. And they kind of went with a weird kind of experimental vibe with this new album. They have elements of hip-hop in this new album. Uh, they have elements of, uh, like, uh, electronica, electronic music, um, which wasn't totally foreign from the last album, but I think they kind of committed a little bit more to that. Um the screaming vocals. The screaming vocals are extremely well done. He did a great job. Now, the only problem I have with this band, with this album, really, is the performance of the clean vocalist because it sounds artificial. The first album, it sounded artificial. Oh, what about the drums? The drums are fine. Oh, so they're not artificial. This album. I oh, mean, that, was, that was a joke he had, or <laughs> they used a software. Yeah, called Jake Vanderblay. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but um. Because I think as far as the artificial sounding of the music, I think this particular effort allows them to kind of get away with that because it was more experimental, you know, because they had elements that relied maybe a little bit more, leaned more towards this side as opposed to this side. So they were kind of, I kind of gave them the pass on that one. Um, it's more, it's an interesting attempt. The vocalist, the singing vocalist, I know people are very high on him and uh, I saw some live footage. He, he pulls it off, but it's a it's a delivery thing. He doesn't have any soul when it comes to his delivery. I I don't feel like a person singing to me. I feel like a robot singing to me. Straight up, uh, Microsoft Sam. Yeah, I I don't like I said. He's a talented individual. I can admit that. But when it comes to the feeling of it, I can't get a hundred and fifty percent behind it because I don't feel it. When you play Vanna Void and you listen to Joel sing, you feel it because there's imperfections in there that they put they left intentionally in there. To make it feel like a Singing person. Singing like his life depends on Yeah. It. And there's things in there. Like uh, another big example of this was a Mice and Men. Uh, the second album they had the, f- what the fuck, the flood or the, maybe the subtitle, what the fuck it's called. There's imperfections in there that Shea pulled off. 
and there's things in there that make him sound like a human and you feel his vocals. All right. I feel like this guy is a robot and that's like the biggest issue I have with it. He's a talented guy. I can admit that. But I think for me, he is what's holding back this album from being held in higher regard for me. I think it's a solid, like a B, a B plus effort. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, hang on. Cause we're doing albums one to 10. Oh, why? See, this is the fucking shit we can't. We got to get a poster with like how we're rating everything on the wall. Um, so like, would you say you had a change of heart on how you view this band I after think, this album? I think I have higher hopes for them moving forward, but I think the third album is going to be the biggest teller here. Yeah. I think I don't think. Um, how am I going to put this? How am I going to phrase this? I don't think they're ever going to be my favorite, but I think they could be a solid B tier band that they're I'll enjoy. definitely something you can enjoy. Yeah. With, with this effort, if the next album comes back out and it sounds exactly like the first one where it sounds like every other metalcore coming back with the same old soulless vocals, I'm not interested because I've seen it. I've seen it a bazillion times. They, they, what they were doing is something that anime fiction did three times better two years before that with, uh, chasing ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and with with that, I, what's the what's the vocalist from Amity? Yeah, with Joel. Joel Birch, yeah. He has soul. You feel his vocals when he delivers. Even with the new shit, I don't like it, but you feel it. And with the screaming vocals, what's his name? I don't know. Fucking yeah, he, it eludes me as well. Yeah, he his screams have soul. You feel it. The screaming vocalist from Iper Rail has that. He has that ability to portray those feelings in what he's singing. You believe what he's saying. With him, I don't feel. I feel like he doesn't care. I feel like he's a guy. Um, Hear the lyrics. Go sing this. Yeah, honestly, I, he's not. Maybe he. It feels like he didn't have like like a guy at karaoke who didn't write the song, but he's he's singing it. That's well, what it seems like to me. Well, don't say that about karaoke. I seen motherfuckers sing their heart out the carts out of karaoke. Yes and no, but um, no. Um, I think I didn't listen to the album, so I can't give you input on this. But I think that's a very serious thing that's plaguing. I think a good chunk of the metalcore community that a lot of these guys go out there and write edgy lyrics and they're trying to stuff as much like darkness and brooding as, as they can into a track. And then when you hear it, yeah, it's metalcore, but that's about it. And we've spoken about the internal filter we have and sometimes it just doesn't get past it. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm glad you had, I'm, I'm glad you're giving some of these bands chances, second chances or whatever you want to say. Right. And I'm not the biggest I prevail fan and I didn't listen to this album. But it, it's good to see that um, they're making changes and we're making changes in the way we approach. It's very easy to just pull the, I didn't like the last one, I'm not touching this one. Yeah. yeah. It's very easy to pull that card. And it was getting there because it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do a review this week. I don't know what I'm going to review because White Chapel came out too. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I have a, I have a, fi- a strong feeling. Copy, uh, paste. Where I'm, where I'm <laughs> going with White Chapel. Right. Like I knew, like I know what I'm getting. Right. Because they've had a lot more albums to kind of establish that pattern, as we they say. have a trend, yeah, a very strong trend, yeah. So I'm like, let me see what these other these guys are doing, because I, you know, benefit of the doubt, maybe the first one wasn't for me, maybe the second one would be, or whatever the fuck it, whatever the album it is. And um, I wasn't hating it, because there's usually, like you said, a, a moment where if I'm not feeling an album, I just shut it off, and then like it's just background noise. I shut it off, and then by the time it reaches the end, or if it comes back around, I'm like, I heard the song already, and I move on to the next album, right? This one, I'm like, because if I find myself looking toward my phone to see what song it is, I'm like, what song? You're is interested. That? that I'm interested. And I've done that a couple of times. I give Adriana a listen, and she has some, she's like, oh. because she didn't like um, Lost Boys. Adriana didn't like it. She's like, eh, it's not for me. I'm like, whatever. And um, 
this one she's like is it gonna be weird like the other band you showed me i'm like not necessarily i'm like i just want your opinion on it because i it was very hard to put words to how i was feeling about it so she kind of helped me do that today but um I, we'll see moving forward with them it's upsetting that your wife doesn't appreciate greatness but <laughs> that's a chat for another day i guess no because you know this is what this is what bugs me about Adriana, as far as her musical uh, habits. When it comes to albums, she doesn't listen to albums like at all. Like as far as like the grand vision of what somebody's trying to accomplish, she doesn't do albums. Adriana listens to songs, and she likes a song. She'll pick it out of an album and put it on her iPod, for an example. But she doesn't listen to full albums. That's just that's just how she listens. You know to what this is, buddy? What this is exactly like every girl out there getting a tattoo of a quote from a song or a book that's totally taken out of context. Well, it's, it's not just that. I mean, I because I think she established her musical habits um, kind of differently because she came from a different background than us. So my wife, my wife came from kind of the uber Mexican neighborhood and where she was kind of mixed in with it. You know what I mean? Um, but as far as the side of her where she listens to music, um, the stuff that she really feels and enjoys, um, she almost did it in secret mm. because uh, maybe it wasn't socially acceptable, man. To, 10, to, 15 years ago, you listen to metal, you're a freak. It wasn't, well, it wasn't just that for her because... My wife was bullied when she was a kid. Nah. So um, she felt the need to hide it because she didn't want to be picked on. And it's not just at school. Like her mom would like give her shit for listening to the type of music that she liked. So she did singles. Like she would go on the internet, have her headphones on like this. And then she would kind of jam to something. And then she would move on to the next thing because she didn't want people to know what she was listening to. Gotcha. So um, maybe it's just a habit. Yeah. It was formed a, over the years. It was a habit that she got into, which I wasn't planning on going into this conversation basing like trying to figure out what my wife's thought process is but now that i'm kind of saying it out loud it makes sense to me you know so what does she think of i prevail she's like oh this is this is it's not a, bad it's interesting like she's like um she's like there's elements to it that i like she's like there's bits and pieces that i don't which is fair because that's basically what my opinion on it was you're not gonna love every album you come across yeah and um because i was telling her about like what album was i talking about there was an out fuck there was an album I was just fucking harping on so hard the other day. That you were ripping on? No, like I was like loving it. Like I was telling her about how every sp- song blends into another song. And she's like, I don't, like it doesn't, she's like, unless she like really, really enjoys like every individual song, she won't. It, get, it won't matter. It won't, <laughs> yeah. yeah, she won't get into the album. It doesn't matter what's, what song or what album it's on to her. But for me, I listen to an album as a whole. As, yeah. It's a story that somebody's trying to tell to me and you don't pick up a book and read chapter three and then close it and then move on to the next thing. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I enjoyed it. Uh, I think I prevailed at a, a decent job. Uh, I got to go through it a couple more times to kind of solidify my opinion. 150% because I've gone through it maybe twice at this point, which is more than, than you expected to, which is about uh, one and a half more opportunities. I probably would have given it because I usually I would get halfway through this thing. And very move cool. On. So what is your uh, adjusted rating? On the numerical scale, like a six, seven, six and a half, six and a half. That's fair. It's it's not it's not crazy, but it's definitely my favorite piece of music I heard this year. But I think it's something. If I give it some more time, maybe it'll grow on me a little bit more. Which usually, when things grow on me, um, it's like a cyst. You don't expect it at first. Yeah, and it pops up when you're like, "Wow, this hurts." But just the, due to the fact that I didn't shut it off right away means that I'm more intrigued than I was prior. Very cool, man. And that's all we can do at the end of the day is listen and review and consult. Um, so I told you to check out this band. Did you I did. check it out? I did. 
Uh, okay, so a band called Fever War came up across my Spotify. One of the I was working out and um, uh, fuck, what was it? I think it was Porch Fever or some something. Porch Mouth. Porch Mouth by Fever War came on, and I was like, "This is tasty." And I was like, "Who are these guys? And why is this the first time I'm hearing of them?" So they're man, I don't even know how to describe this, but they're like a hardcore mixed with like traditional rock roots and it's yeah. so interesting it was very um unexpected dude yeah i was trying to like because I, I get why you're interested in it and i know why you brought it to my attention just because of how it's max uh but i'm like eh, do they do anything in particular that i enjoy like there's obviously there's elements that i like really i like a lot but as far as like bringing something new to the table i'm not sure i'm not sure i, I maybe I have to do a couple more listens Oh, so what did you think of the singles? What did you listen to? I listened to Porch Mouth and that other one. Hold on. I'm sorry. I have them. Let me pull them up. Um, bullshit. Cool. Bullshit was weird. Was it Bullshit? Bullshit. That was one of these two songs that was like, is this the same band? Yeah. I think Bullshit is very much more in the hardcore vein. Yeah. Where it was like, are these two things the same? Uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, but for me, so far. I'm not going to write these guys off yet because it, 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 there was enough elements there where I'm definitely going to check back in the future. Uh, I don't know if it's mind blowing to me yet because when that the Lost Boys Collective, when you show me that, I'm like, that's kind of that's something that's fucking, big. <laughs> that's something big. That's something that I like. These guys are like, yeah, I'll, I'll see them, but not quite the next. You'll keep your eye on them. Yeah. yeah, not quite the next level up. I feel like there's a lot of that this year with me and you when it comes to these bands. Just like we gotta, we gotta watch these, the, these sets, these little bands. We gotta bring them, bring them up. Personally, I, what I really like is this kind of resurgence of the rock genre that we've been experiencing with bands like Highly Suspect and Royal Blood. And I would kind of peg these guys toward towards that category. Not quite in it, but I, I kind of miss that like. The freelance guitar that's just, you know, doing whatever the fuck it wants. And those, this band does a lot of what I like in both genres. The rhythm and melody is a bit toned down, but still in your face. You know, it may, it's maybe not blaring at you. like It's not barking at you like Brian Garris, right? But it's still there. It's present and it's rhythmic. And then the vocals are that nice raspy, like I woke up at 6 a.m. to record this album. I had two shots of Jack Daniels and a cigarette. Let's go all in one take type of shit, you know? And that's what I like about this presentation. I think it's a very neat package. I think these guys were a hardcore band originally, kind of going into it with a, with a hardcore mentality. And I like what they're doing. They dropped a song called Detox on Friday that I also really enjoy. And they're doing this weird blend, man. You know, I like those weird combinations like cheese sticks and jam. Like, I love that shit, right? Bad example. But I'm going to keep my eyes on these guys because they're doing something that, that's really tickling my funnies. And I think you should definitely check out Fever War. Tickling your funnies, you said. Because, I, I, cause man, you know, we talk about the filter all day, all night that oh, we probably listen to, I don't know, like a dozen new things a week, right? And some of that shit, you hear 10 seconds and you're like, skip. This came on. I was like, let's listen to that again and one more time. And now I'm like, okay, where the fuck are these guys from? What do they have out? What can I binge more on? And that is a very good thing to do with the presentation of a single. Do you know, like with bands that don't have like albums, I find it harder to invest like out. Like if they don't have like a full like collection of songs, if they have s seven songs out and five of them are singles that are like two years apart, I have an issue with that. The whole creative process. Right. I think it's the, it's the plight of the new band. 
you know, I mean, man, you know how it was. You drop a single, some shit goes down, and then you drop another single, you drop a demo, and then, you know, it's maybe a couple years, so you drop an album. Some bands pick up steam, like Knock Loose, and they plow through, and now we're, we're waiting for that bubble to burst. Uh, some bands don't blow up like that, and they need the resources, the money, and the time to really kind of sculpt, you know? And so I get it. It's just kind of this newness and this breakthrough it's it's a very common thing like uh who was it northern ghost where i was like hey check out this band you're like well, they only have three songs i was like yeah they're kind of new <laughs> you know and they dropped that album and we both ended up really liking it like the next day so it yeah it was nah, i was not the next day it was like a week it was like the next day bro uh, i i mentioned the single and, and then the album came out shortly after but yeah it was a very short time frame there like the next day but uh <laughs> but yeah man so keep your eyes on them Speaking of which, why when is Thousand Below and Northern Ghost coming out with a new gig? When are they touring together? Um, I think Northern Ghost is in the studio. They've been real quiet on social media. Thousand Below? Um, well, they've been talking about their album for a while now. So they're working on something? Yeah, they're they're definitely in the studio. I can't be as reassuring with Northern Ghost, but it's usually a good thing or a bad thing when a band is quiet. And they had a very good run with that first album. Yeah, not bad. All right. Uh, what else we got? Ten song set list for your strong. Let's right. rock and roll. Let me pull this shit up real quick. You want me to go first since this is kind of your band? Yeah, let's do that. So we're gonna open up with uh, "We All Float" down here because I I love that reference. Such it's a good song too. Yeah. Uh, number two, it's uh, a. <laughs> I love these song names, man. They're really good. It must really suck to be four years strong right now. Yeah. Nineteen with neck tats, abandoned ship or abandoned all hope. Eating my words, stolen credit card. Flannel is the color of my energy, man. That song <laughs> resonates with me so much. Uh, what the hell is a gigawatt? Find My Way Back. What a fucking phenomenal song. And to close it all out, Wasting Time, probably my favorite four-year strong song of all time. Okay. So uh, there's some similarities here. Uh, I just wanted to give a quick love letter to four-year strong because I mentioned it previously on the podcast how they're one of my more favorite bands recently, right? Well, not recently, but... Uh, of all time? Yeah, of all time. They're like maybe top 20, let's say. And uh, it's funny because I told this to Adrian yesterday because, like I said, every every week I do a walkthrough of my, my set list every year, every week. Uh, whatever band we're doing, I do the whole walkthrough just to see how it gels and molds and all that good stuff. And I was telling her, I'm like, it's funny because I remember when they were like at the height of their popularity, maybe five years ago ish. I hated them, and it's like it was the same thing with the day to remember. I just didn't like them because every other band at the time was trying to sound like them, and that bothers me. Uh, tech Tech was the same fucking deal. So it's funny because when I reconverged on them maybe three years ago, I'm like. This is this is this is cool. I seen them at live at Warped Tour. I'm like, they're a very good live band. They have a lot of energy. I'm like, okay, I see you. Um, so I was telling Adriana last night when we were talking about it as I was going through the set. I'm like, maybe I should revisit revisit a day to remember. <laughs> maybe I have to look back and. I think a lot of the mentality, and it's not just you. It's a big portion of any community you're in. Is that is it still good once the hype dies down? And that's the question. Yeah, because. Bands will steamroll if it's something new, if it's something banging, if it's something crazy. Yeah, your, your daughter's going crazy outside that door. But if it's something new and people like attach to it and then suddenly this is the next big thing. I think that there's like this initial wave of insanity and craziness that people are just like so devoted. But the question is, is this album or band still rock solid five years down the line or 10 years down the line or when all that hype dies down? And, you know, it's like, yeah, I remember Data Remember. People still out there remember, love, and care for Data Remember. And I think Four Year Strong kind of came out with 
I, like I said, dude, I call them a, like a frat punk band. And it's a joke because they very much present themselves as these like frat boys. But I think that's part of, I don't, I wouldn't even call it a gimmick. I think it's part of their laid back attitude and approach towards the whole music thing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's good music and they don't take themselves too seriously. And I think there's a lot of merit in that. Yeah. They don't, uh, let me, let me, let me a little add a little asterisk. They don't take themselves seriously, but they take the music seriously. Yeah. And the components that go into it. They're like, you know what? Maybe we are a little goofy looking. Maybe the flannel look is a little outplayed, but hey, fuck it. We're going to roll with it. Like that kind of deal. Um, and it's what I enjoy. So let me go ahead and get through this 10 song set and uh, we'll do a little little recap at the end. Uh, I'm opening it up with we all float down here. Nice. Next up with what the hell is a gigawatt? <laughs> uh, tonight we feel alive. Going down in history, which you didn't have. Yeah, I missed sure. that one. Uh, wipe, up, wipe yourself off, man. You dead. Uh, it must really suck to be four years strong right now. You missed this one too. Hero get re- heroes get remembered, but legends never die. You didn't put that one on there either. Shocked by that. Find my way back. I hold myself in contempt, which is a liar, liar reference, which I fucking love. And uh, wasting time, eternal summer to close it out. Very cool. I think we both gravitate towards the uh, album where the dude's like a half unicorn or whatever. A- enemy of the enemy of the world, something like that. Is that it? Uh, hold on, let me look just to make sure. Yeah, man. I think that album had the right amount of musical prowess and goofiness that I enjoy. In, you are correct. In an album. But it's, it's, it's that. And I was telling you, John, of this last night as I was going through it. I'm like, I wish every pop punk band something like this. I'm like, because there's a level of grit and some balls behind what Four Year Strong does. Pop punk is a very malleable genre, kind of like how Batman, you can have a hundred different interpretations of it. You have your douchey pop punk bands that are like the elitist, blah, blah. blah. And then you have bands like this that are like. That could borderline be like a solid metalcore act if they like, you know, down tuned and added some fuzz. Yeah. So um, I enjoy them, man. And I'm looking forward to seeing them this summer because uh, to me, straight up, because there's there's bands that fit like seasons straight up for your strongest summer music. Like there's no way around it. That's all. Oh, summer. absolutely. That's all summer music. Absolutely. Hey, you know what we should do? And I'm calling it right now. We're doing a 10 song set list for the summer because it's right around the corner. So your 10 songs that remind you the most about summer. Um my only my only rule here is going to be no more than two songs per one band. Fair That's enough. It's going to be the one rule. So we're we doing that next week. Yeah, that'll be my ten song set list. Okay, ten songs that remind you of summer. Um, and oh, I got a few. If if you ever, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this little like uh, PSA. If you've ever like grossly hated something like a band or an album, give go back around to it. Maybe you'll find something to enjoy this time around. That's fair enough. And uh, yeah, man. So we got our round three March Metalcore bracket. Yeah, you didn't give me my bands. My bands. I'm gonna do it right now, live. And I'm gonna give you the rough one. We got Chiodo's Bone Palace Ballet versus Beloved by Kill the Prime Queen. Talk to me. What is your thought process going into this? Because these are two very distinct and individualistic albums that bring their own spices. It's like you know when you're watching Cutthroat Kitchen and the guys bring like their whole bag of knives and utilities and stuff. But like, imagine that, but everything's like monogrammed and it was given to them by their moms. You know, like it's very, it's a very specific tonage. <laughs> what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that like both albums have something special that you can't replicate in another, in, in even another one of either band's like albums, you know? Shit, Gabe. Hold on. I have to pull up these track lists for both of them real quick. Cause I got to see. I got to see. All right. Okay. And let me pull up and pull up Beloved real quick. Why did you? Fl- you're a, you're a dick for this one. <laughs> um, fucking shit. It's rough, man. I'm gonna put you on the spot. Talk to me. What's your thought process going into this? On a surface level, 
what what is more appealing on a surface on a very base like primal instinct if i told you you could listen to one right now what would you pull if you say primal instinct my beloved yeah that's yeah. that's because that's just more closely related to how i feel about music today however um when you talk about the presentation and um the aesthetic and the vibe of an album like I, if you told me that post hardcore can be summed up in like two albums and this was one of them i would not be upset at you yeah um so when you talk about boss to the wall energy kind of that ravenous guitar feel because we talked about it There's, the violence that's there it's the, present the violence is something that you cannot replicate and even when you listen to other i killed the prom queen albums i, I don't know what they did the, with the production to make it sound like how it did it's something else man it's it's just the way it sounds is you can't replicate it as far as vocal performance well that's fine we'll, we'll break it down by element how about that sure that's the feel now if we talk about um musicality uh, the ability to convey what you're feeling based on what you're playing. I think if you're doing that, um, I think while incredibly successful in their endeavor, as far as musicality, um, the caper that captures kind of that violent feel. Um, if you want to talk about kind of the dynamic, you know, the dynamics of a band and how every person's important to the sound. I think you go with Chios on that particular aspect because you feel every fucking instrument. You feel the guitars, you feel the keyboard, you feel the fucking drums, you feel the vocals. Um, we should get my line printed on a shirt. There hasn't been a band like Chiodos since Chiodos. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe sell it. No, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, as far as musicality, I think, um, uh, I killed the prom queens more one note on that front because they kind of have, like you said, that violent ravenous, uh, ambush kind of a vibe to this album but Chiodos has a little bit more dynamics they have kind of the softer songs like Letters to Janelle but they have those fucking heavy songs like The Undertaker's Thirst for Revenge and they have kind of those unique kind of Tim Burton-y-ass songs like uh, is, is a Progression of a Cannibal Uses a Fork um, man this is a tough one you know I'm gonna I'm gonna toss this out as a little side note you know what the only other like pure kind of violence core is what we'll call it like thing that came out that really kind of brought me back to beloved was like in between the two time frames it was the zombie ep and i think zombies definitely came out first right yeah i recall yes but like those two is is like the the way you should feel you should be ready to go out there and chop down some zombies yeah you know, well after listening to those albums and and i don't know i just wanted to throw that out there because both of them have that same element that we're looking for that like you know it's funny because special about it it's funny because both of these both of these bands are bands that have gone by, right? Their eras are kind of over with. I killed the prom queen kind of self imposed because, you know, they just stopped making music and Chiotos they couldn't keep their lineups together, you know. Uh, however, I can say pretty confidently that Beloved is I killed the prom queen's best album. As far as Chiotos, um, I really like the last the one after Illuminatio. I like that one a lot. And that one kind of had the same thing that I was looking for, but with a better vocalist. I know. I'm sorry. Craig Owens is fantastic. Well, at least in this album, he was. The album before it, I don't give a fuck what people say. The album before, which is uh, All's One That Ends Well, he was a whiny little bitch. He sounded like it, and that's why I didn't like the first album. For this round, I'm going. I killed the prom queen. Beloved. So I got good news and bad news. What? We both have a hard one and an easy one. Okay. Okay, this next one for you is Crisis versus Jesus, Peace, Only Self. Crisis. Yeah. 
Um, I don't think we can just so, say To be fair, uh-huh. Jesus Peace have a fucking hell of a run in this year's bracket. They took Me. down some fucking bangers along the way. Because they took down Motionless and White, right? Mm-hmm. They took down somebody else in between there, all that. But They took down Whitechapel, which is yeah. my lineup last week. And um, I think it's fair to say we have some stock in Jesus Peace. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to them moving forward. All right, here's my easy one. All That Remains, Fall of Ideals, Year of the Knife, Ultimate Aggression. I think both of them have this same approach to music. One's a little older and one's a little newer. And of course there comes both the nuances with, you know, the decade gap between So did you did you review Year of the Knife then? Did you go back into it? Yes. I quite enjoyed it. But this is the same (laughs) kill switch engage thing. Yeah. It's like you go back and yeah, all that remains eventually gets lost in all these dad core bands and they're gonna tour with Parkway Drive one of these days, right? But you cannot deny that Fall of Ideals changed the changed the face of this scene really when that album dropped. And you know, maybe we're blown out of proportion. Maybe we just love this fucking album. But I think that if you go back and revisit it in 2019, this album that's what 14, 15 years old at this point, it is just as good, if not better, than most of the crap that's cranking out today in the metalcore genre. This is fact. And this is this is exactly what I said 10 minutes ago. After all the hype, does this still smack? Absolutely, and that's yes, why sir. it takes it. I don't I don't need. I don't feel the need to expand on that anymore. Yep. All right. Now, this next one's going to be a little bit rougher. So, it's The Emptiness versus Seos and Self-Titled. Yeah. That's what I said going into it. I mean, I, I know which one I'm favoring, but I want your opinion. I do, too. Um, You talk to me first because you got investment in both these albums. Heavy investments, right? Yeah. So. Well, you didn't name your daughter Seos and so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was close. Um, <laughs> it would have been. It's an interesting. Seos an interesting name. But. um, Maybe for a boy. Yeah, definitely. So, Seosin did stuff at the time that was like groundbreaking with this album, right? Um, they had brought in a new vocalist, which performed way above kind of standard than what everybody thought. Um, because I think when it comes to vocalists, people are very opinionated. And this was in an era where Ronnie Racky left, escaped the fate. Where yeah, and the world was in turmoil. Twenty twelve was right around the corner, and everybody thought the mines were going to kill us all. Yeah, um, Craig Mavitt left Bless the Fall. La uh, la 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 la. Like there's a bazillion different kind of examples. Chiodos, you know, Craig Owens left Chiodos and Brandon Brandon. Like there's a bazillion different examples. But as far as as far as the performance on the album, they did a great job. I think um, as far as sound, it was a little bit different than their EP, which is fine. Um, but moving back onto the emptiness, the emptiness tells a wonderful story about a man losing his mind because he lost his loved one. Um, and you want to talk about the aesthetic, my aesthetic, this is it. Cause I'm a big, uh, Edgar Allan Poe fan. So it fits my aesthetic. It's everything I love about that type, that genre, that era. Um, man, very it's, cool. I think, um, this is not an easy choice and it's, it's really subjective and all these brackets are at the end of the day. Right. I'm sure I'm going to have some white chapel fans chasing me around and like <laughs> flogging me or some shit, but he, here's the thing. They would flog you too, by the way, they're totally the flogging type. Yeah. Right. Um, I saw a picture of white chapel the other day. They're a lot better looking than I had pictured them to be. I pictured them to be like these old guys. You know, white chapels, uh, the vocals for white chapels, like an inch shorter than me. <laughs> you know, he's like a little guy. He's like, like Josie. Short- yeah. <laughs> okay. So here's my thing. 
Sayosin Self-Titled was a phenomenal album. They came out swinging with this thing, and this is an album that really defined those mid-2000 to late-2000 years. And, you know, I still throw this album on every once in a while. What they did here really rattled post-hardcore. And if you still listen to post-hardcore, Dance Gavin Dance, you know, like a Secret Pan, any of that shit, this new post-hardcore stuff that's coming out, and even the stuff that came out two or three years after, was it 2007-ish, right? You felt what Sayosin did here. They set the new gold standard with this album, and they really brought a lot of love and care. And if you want an in-depth dive, go look at the Punk Rock MBA's review on this whole Sayosin album. He does he does a good job on this one. I think that's one video we can agree on. Yeah, this Sayosin thing. Um, he covers them really well. He does a lot of shit like that, right? Here's my thing. I think the emptiness. I totally agree with you. Packaging, the presentation, the everything outside of the music was perfect. And then you get to the nitty gritty. Why why they're a band, why they're cranking on stuff in the first place. It's very thematic. Mm-hmm. I would even push it towards the the realm of cinematic if you're looking at it as a as a like a moving landscape, right? Yeah. And here's how I view this. You know that like iconic Pink Floyd photo where it's the one black and white stream going in and it's the rainbow going out of the triangle, the prism, right? Yeah. That's how I kind of see uh the emptiness. It takes in a lot of classical influences like Poe, um, the standard for metalcore at the time. And it takes those two, it fuses them with horror elements, with good narrative elements and Pop. just a lot of, yeah. a lot of good stuff and a lot of properly clean vocals. It's, you know, it doesn't, nothing feels forced. It feels very natural. Like if you told me these guys recorded this whole album in one, one take, take. Yep. I would totally, I'd be like, yeah, well they had to piss in, you know, at one time, but I, you know, I wouldn't disagree with you here. And I think, that the emptiness does more than Seosin. And I got to give it to that. And strictly because, you know, I just gave Seosin a whole lot of praise. But the emptiness, man, look at the stuff we're cranking out now, right? Like, look at the metalcore community now. And tell me a lot of this shit isn't reminiscent of the riff workage, the effects on, you know, like a lot of these pedal setups, these soundboards, a lot of the production that the emptiness did. When when you look back and you you re-review uh, the emptiness, it sounds like you said it. Everything is one take. It sounds like somebody telling you their story as they burst through the bar and said, "This is what just happened, and you have to fucking listen to my story because otherwise, I'm gonna lose my fucking shit." But but here's my thing, right? I think I said Sayosin's very influential in post-hardcore, and you can say the exact same thing about Alisana. I think they go past post-hardcore. And I think if you talked to a lot of modern bands and and they said, like, hey, these are my influences, I think a massive chunk of these bands would say Alessandra the Emptiness yeah. is something that inspired me to do music or inspired the way I approach music. View, how you feel about it. You because think about, think about this. What came, Oh, shit, what came out first? The Emptiness or There Is a Hell? Because both of them have the same elements that we like. I think Emptiness came out in 2010, right? Let me see. No, I think earlier than that, I think. Earlier than that? This is a good question. Hold on, let me this Google it. very good question. Where's my phone now? I got I to gotta find out. Alessandra came out in 2010. You are correct. Okay. In January, There is a Hell came out. Really? There is a Hell came out in... October 5th, 2010. So, Alessandra Months. Came, Alessandra came Months first. apart. 
And these are massive albums that I think both of us hold in very high regard yep. for the same fucking reasons. Yeah. It was a good year. 2010 was a good year, I guess, huh? Motionless and White, too. Um, that Silverstein album I mentioned today, I Shipwreck think, in the Sand. Yeah, that was going on. Uh, um, I think The Ghost Inside had an album came out in 2010, I think. 2010 was a, was a phenomenal year. And I got to give it to Alison. All right. So let's break this down. Who we have left? Who do we have left? Man, it's going to be rough. Okay. We got... <clears throat> the Emptiness, that's one for post. Fall of Ideal, which is the one lineup. Two and two. So Or two and two. What? Two, two posts, two. Fall two of Ideals is Metalcore, buddy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Crisis and I Killed the Prime Queen. So two and two, post and Metalcore. So I guess it uh, comes down to which one you want to take. You want to take The Emptiness versus Fall of Ideals, or you want to take Crisis versus Beloved? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know what? This is a very fair split, too. Yeah. This is a very fair split. Uh, let me take Beloved against Crisis because I feel like I have a personal stake on the other end. And I don't want to allow that to judge my, crowd my judgment. Cool. You know? Yeah, I think that's fair. You don't want to... You don't want your external factors to influence. I don't want know. my da- I don't want the fact that my daughter's name is Elisana to influence my decision making. Should have named her the Fall of Ideals. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Very cool, man. Uh, so some solid... Very good stuff on the bracket. And watch all these Seosin fans are going to come and find me and they're going to throw pebbles hey, in my windshield. Hey, man, don't underestimate the power of this fan base because uh, we're, we're growing a little bit. And you know, I think you said it the best. If your album made it on this list, we at least recognize the greatness that it holds. Yeah. And at the very least, that's why you made the cut. You have to keep in mind that... Cause if like- we, man, if we played Favorites Upon a Burning Body would be up here right now, really. <laughs> Uh, I think if we were playing favorites, they're only chasing safety would be winning this thing. I think they'd be pretty high. I'm hang on. Who else do we have on here? I'm, yeah. I mean, if we were playing favorites, um, I'm sure let live would be up here too. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Vanna, if we were playing favorites, Vanna would be up here. Vanna would have won. <laughs> but that's just the way it goes. So we got two rounds left. We got the semifinal next week and then the final one mid April. So March Madness is going a bit long for us, but that's well, okay. March Madness usually goes to like the first week of April anyway. So very cool, and uh, we'll have an interesting winner for you. Yeah, so that's that's next week. We'll have that big winner uh, for my end of the back bracket, I guess, and Gabe's end of the bracket. Uh, I'm going to review everything that we've listened to along the way, and uh, we'll see what happens. So, Gabe, that this podcast is officially almost two hours long. Which means we sat here and talked way too long about nothing. <laughs> We're like the Copy Seinfeld that. show of podcasts. But with that, um, now, I started up a Discord. All right. Uh, I don't really know how it works. I'm not going to lie to you. So, um, you know, if you guys feel interested in joining, kind of joining the chat with me and Gabe, I don't know if Gabe joined it yet, but... Um, you know, we're going to talk and maybe keep you guys invested in the podcast topics if that's what you guys want to do. Uh, we'll see how well it goes along the way. I want to say a quick thank you to everybody who's been listening to the show recently because we have had an abundance of listeners come around. Uh, the last couple of weeks have been very successful for us on that front, so excellent job with that. We appreciate it, guys. Uh, don't forget to email us at uh, secondcitykids uh, at gmail.com. All right, if you guys have any comments, questions, or concerns, you also can also go ahead and like and subscribe on iTunes, rate us, uh, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, uh, tune in radio Podbean, uh, Podbean, all that good stuff the Podbean app has been giving us a lot of love uh, so go ahead and check us out on there uh, we have a feature week coming up near the middle of August so it'll be perfect because the last feature week we had was for the Halloween review 
And this one will be for the Tarantino review, my Absol- friend. Absolutely. So it's gonna be a good it's gonna be a good thing for us. All right. Um, but other than that, that's really what I got for the Second City Kids podcast this week. You can go ahead and follow me on Twitter at secondcitykids.com. I have been tweeting a little bit more these days. I actually yes, have, have. Uh, trying to keep you guys involved in what's going on as far as the topics of the show. But with that being said, signing off for this week is Gabe and Jacob. We'll see you here back here next week for one thirteen. But until then, deuces. <laughs>